Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby. I'm a fan of classic movies. Hello and welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of audio commentaries dedicated to discussing cinema that fascinates us in a way we hope fascinates you. We're your co-hosts, Kyle and Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. And I'm Levi. And here we are now in the dawning days, weeks, moments of 2022. Mm-hmm. You may have noticed we skipped last week. Um, we were just tired and kind of burnt yeah, out uh, yeah, from our vacations that? we were on. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Before, you know, we just started a whole new semester yeah. of school, teaching that is. Um, so we apologize for not being there last week, but we're back, uh, readier than ever. Better than ever? Well, we'll see. We'll leave that yeah. up to you. Uh, new year, new us. Hmm? Uh, any uh, <laughs> any resolutions uh, in any way as we head into 2022? Well, uh, just to read the Bible, I don't know, more often. That's a that's, good, that's good resolution. For I think that's though. the most important one. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, not really. Just uh, Any New Year's that. revolutions? <clears throat> any Matrix revolutions? No, we're done with all that. Any Matrix resurrections? Yeah. It, I mean, not to sound like real old, but it is just weird. I don't know, you know, anytime it's a new year and you have to start writing the new year down, yeah. it, it is a lot of just retraining of your right. brain, just yeah. like, oh, yeah, we're in this right. phase now. You yeah. Know? Um, and, you know, there was a joke, I think, in the uh, New Yorker I saw somewhere recently. It was like these two cavemen, and they were like, uh, oh, I, I, I had a. Uh, I keep writing the. The Iron Age or something, like, or, or whatever it was. It's like, oh, I keep accidentally right like it, you know. Yeah. That was probably the funniest of those I've seen in a while, but anyway. Yeah. Like, hope y'all laughed. So, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Speaking okay. of they all laughed, well, yeah. we'll get to that later. Yeah, but, uh, but our yeah. film for today is 1985's Into the Night, directed by John Landis. Now, we are recording this in the morning of a Saturday. So, we are indeed Sat- frauds. Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but so we're not into the night per se. But maybe you're listening to this in the night time. In, into into the night. Or maybe you're listening I mean, to it at like three p.m. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I whatever, don't know. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah. But into the night from 1985, directed by John Landis, starring Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Pfeiffer, and everyone else, and cameoed by everyone else, uh, including I. You know, there's a lot of cameos in this movie. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. But the one I always randomly remember is David Cronenberg as yeah. um, his boss. Yeah. And he's like real annoyed at him yeah, for yeah, a kid right. keep falling asleep yeah. in the meetings or whatever. The one I think a lot about randomly is Jonathan Demi at the end of the movie mm-hmm. with the glasses on yeah. and he's like pointing the snub nose. Like, I was also like, really oh, think wow. of Jim Henson. Yeah. Uh, 
He yeah. like plays like he. I don't know if he's like a pimp or a club owner or yeah, something, something very non Jim right. Henson. Yeah. Uh, and and Carl Perkins, of course, I think a lot about. Is, he has a little bit more of a role in the movie though than some of these other people. But anyway, yeah. we're not there yet. Uh, but before we even get into the blue plate special. Levi wanted to briefly stop and talk about uh, a film we already near and about. dear to our hearts, uh, <laughs> Valkyrie, which we talked about, we we'll probably talked about longer on the historical filmmaking yeah. podcast than we're going to here. Yes. So go back, refer to that, well, listen to that. Yeah. Uh, but um, you recently have been kind of doing some things in your middle grade, you know, middle school, seventh grade English classrooms relating to the World War Two era. Yeah, right. And so you'd like to show some films during lunch, I think, right? Yes. Uh, and mm-hmm. you've talked about this before yeah. in the past. Uh, you recently showed them mm-hmm. Valkyrie from 2008, directed by Brian Singer. Yeah. Uh, you know, wonder, former Wonderkin. Uh, yes, yeah. Not really. Um, what are, you know, what was your impulse to show that movie? Well... Um, you, now you showed them Dunkirk recently yes. too, right? As far as yeah. World War Two, yeah. So a I've great done, World War II yeah. Movie. I've done that, and I've done the movie we're gonna do next week. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll actually be watching that pretty soon after having just watched it. Not yeah. that I care. Yeah. But um, this is one of the best movies ever made. So whatever. But uh, I don't know. I felt like it's like a perfect middle school movie, you know. So and a lot of my kids are probably listening to this. So hello. I hope yeah. so. I've been kind of promoting the podcast to them because I don't. Have I may have some new to... students myself. I've just got. Yeah. I, I haven't even really brought up that I've got a podcast, but yeah, who knows? Well, I it. didn't for a long time, and then it kind of well, just my older class. I was knew. sitting. I think we were sitting watching the movie for next week, and uh, for those who are listening that have been listening, you will already know what the movie is. But uh, we were watching it, and I was just kind of con- you know, oh, saying some stuff about. It, and I was like, oh, did I ever tell y'all I got a podcast? And yeah. They were like, it just kind of came out, and then I was like, oh, well, I guess I have to talk about it now. But anyway, so there may be some of y'all listening, I hope so, that uh, were in that class and saw this. They wanted to know, well, and we'll get to that in a minute. I told them, you know, that you were going to say why you thought it was funny that we were watching it, and we can talk well, about why that is. You, uh, you say it's kind of like the perfect middle school yeah, movie. Right. I mean, it came out in 2008. I would have literally been like a sophomore in school yeah. at the time. And so I would have just been not going ex- into middle it's school. It's not exactly middle school for yeah. me, but that totally sums up what it is because yeah. that whole movie, I remember from Brian Singer's perspective when it was being made and around that time, it was like him coming off of these, you know, uh, a whole decade's worth of superhero yeah, films, whether right. it be the X-Men movies or um, Superman Returns. And it was it's what's hilarious about the movie is it is this very clear attempt to be quote prestige, yeah. to be quote important. Um about like something that I think most people probably didn't know about, right, which yeah. was these you know failed assassination attempts of Hitler and yeah. the kind of the upper echelons of the Third Reich yeah. um, during World War Two, and it's just kind of just a you know, and I really love Tom Cruise a lot. There's you know, have we we've not formally done a Tom Cruise movie on here yet, have we? No, I don't think I don't so. Think so. We have a few that we have in mind maybe in mm-hmm. the future, but um, that was at a particular moment where. I remember I put that movie in Lines for Lambs, which is a, a little better than Valkyrie, but also yeah. kind of laughable. That just these very forgettable, like oh, prestige sort of movies. And Robert Redford directed yeah. uh, and was in Lines for Lambs, and Tom Cruise was in that as a senior, I yeah. think. Um, but it's just a very like it looks superficially like it's trying to be important or interesting, but ultimately is pretty paint by numbers, yeah. pretty like whatever. Um, 
And a movie that I frankly don't think all that much about, but then you prompt me yeah. to think more well, about it, which yeah. I think is kind of hilarious. Well, uh, and it was at that era where it was like this. It, it caught me at exactly the moment that it should catch all viewers, which is adolescence. Yeah. <laughs> and you think it's the biggest, most important right. thing ever. I mean, and the kids called on, it is the most overdramatic thing yeah. ever made. I mean, yeah. literally, it is laughable how dramatic yeah. it is. Like, it's got a lot of great actors And in that's it. the problem, too, is like, I think it is so fascinating that there has been a movie that is made with so much specific detail about all the different Nazi generals. Yeah. And, and like, they all have this part to play, and it's all very specific about, like, who these people are. And what their place in the government is, and it's hard to wrap your mind around a little bit. Even as um, I would be interested to talk to my kids, I didn't get to talk to this about them if they even understood parts of what the plot was. Yeah. Was that they had to take control of the reserve army of the Nazis so that when Hitler was dead, they could bl- you know blame the whole thing on the SS, and that could you know basically sideline the biggest organ of the Nazi yeah. party, and therefore be able to take over. Germany and negotiate. And I want to come back in a little bit to some of the historical inaccuracies about the movie, one that is massively glaring that I was looking into last night. But overall, the movie's actually very set about everything that happened. And part of that is because the Nazis did such a thorough investigation of everything that happened, so there's a lot of information that's out there about the whole thing. That was, uh, I don't know if they're, quote, best quality, but they're... uh, they were very extensive record keepers yes. of things, which and is as why, we know why the Holocaust. Yeah, which is, is like why so people documented. would deny that is just mind-boggling to me because there's so much evidence. Which but, is what's, in many know. ways, a yet another shocking and unfathomable aspect of the Holocaust is not only the pride with what they were doing, what yeah. they were doing, but also the confidence that you know very likely one day if they had won in the ultimate yeah. horrific reality had that happened. That they would have created their own Holocaust museums, but they would have instead been celebrations yes, of look what right. we have accomplished and look what we have yeah. done, as opposed mm-hmm. to what the alternative is yeah. now, the reality we live in. But. Right. But anyway, we're kind of running all over the place on this, but <laughs> to just laugh, I mean, because it's like all this very dark stuff, but the movie just makes you laugh half the time because it's so... Only I can initiate yeah, Valkyrie. Only I can initiate Valkyrie. <laughs> I was wanting to say that out loud and laugh in the moment. But I was just like, whatever, and just let it happen. Let the kids really take it in, you know, soak it up, you know? Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, I guess if I had to think about the people who win the movie are Mm -hmm. probably Bill Nye. Yeah. uh, Not the science No, and I've told him I'm like the other Bill Nye. Yeah. And Wilkinson, probably. Yeah. Uh, And then the guy that plays General Keitel, or no, excuse me, Field Marshal Keitel, who was the, like, one of the main kind of military strategist of the war he's yeah. like comes in and out of the movie and is always just like real mean to everybody and like yeah. he's that guy if you remember when they call the wolf slayer and there's that shot of his eye real close yeah. and he's like i don't know what you mean that guy was like and so some of those people that are really like make this big presence of themselves in the movie it's interesting but but yeah so it just really is that kind of movie that its tone is so obtuse um but, and it's a shame because, like I said, it not only has a great cast, but it also has a lot of very specific detail that you don't get with other movies like that. It feel, you know, yeah, well, and you it, know, most it, American movies that are made about World War II, even when they have German characters, they're not like 
ultimately stories about Germany. Right. They're like yeah. uh, all in service of a British or American perspectives. Yeah, right. That is a movie that is an American film, but is about within the Nazi you know hierarchy yeah. or regime. Because there is basically no one, almost no one in that movie who is either who is a first of all not German. Just pretty much nobody in the movie is not supposed to be German anyway. And B that all of them are like officers, yeah, in the in, you know of some sort in the, in the German military you know yeah. machine. I mean, there's stuff with the kid, and that's another thing. I think the biggest one of the biggest random problems with the movie is the the romantic aspect of like his family. Tom and it's Cruise, like uh, that literally means nothing to. The I don't movie even really remember exactly. Any of that. Yeah. It just it's nothing like it's just so stock. Th- no, it's literally that's the most stock thing about the movie by mm-hmm. far. It's yeah. it's interesting how bad it is. I mean, it's just kind of whatever. I didn't even talk about that with the kids because I was just like, it was so nothing. I was just like, I think feel like that speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, and what's interesting too is that um. That the movie has very little, um, what I guess you would call gunplay in it. There's yeah. one shootout towards the end of the movie, yeah. which the kids laughed at because the gunshot sounded so weird. And I ta- I explained, well, this was an era when, in digital photography where this stuff started. Because um, I'm assuming that movie was shot in digital, I'm pretty sure. I would I'm, think. I'm not sure. But anyway, that guns sounded like that in movies for a little while. That they didn't sound... Real. Well, I, I wonder like, if. Well, I know it was something like Public Enemies, which was made in two thousand nine, yeah. which would have been like right after yeah. that. Um, Michael Mann specifically wanted a lot of the sound in that movie to be, you know, realistic to the guns the of right. the thirties. You know what I mean? And so I don't really remember the frankly the sound. I mean, it's literally Valkyrie, barely anything. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but anyway, I th- I don't, and I'm not certain that that was shot in digital, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, it looks good enough for it being that it might even be on film i don't remember yeah but there was a certain time period where movies like that their sound design sounded like that when but uh, when do the events of valkyrie mostly take place it's been like july of 44 yeah because there's that whole the most over the top scene in the whole movie is the scene where they go to Berkus Garden, the Hitler's like estate, yeah. and he has to physically sign the Valkyrie documents, mm-hmm. and it's like he's there, Himmler's there, Goebbels is there, Goering's there. It's like all of them are there, and they're all sitting. And it's like the music is so like, Intense. oh my God, Hitler is in the room. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> okay, like, and that they're and he's like. I will so like, the Valkyrie, like, and he's like talking about. He's like, you know, your Wagner Colonel, and it's like a whole really big. It's so bad. I mean, it's just I like don't remember this. It, scene. We'll watch it later, yeah. and you'll laugh. I mean, you'll and you'll remember it. But like, um, and one thing is kind of a side, a side quit, a side quill, yeah. if you will, the conversation that I forgot that how much Wilkinson as General Fromm in the movie did actually, I mean, this is a pretty big part of the movie, but I always forget it, that he actually is kind of, his place in the movie is very interesting where he's kind of against them, but also letting it happen to basically, I mean, all he cares about is the power of his position. Like, he's basically like, if this stuff turns out the way that they want it to, they're promising me some big 
some big spot in the new regime or whatever. Yeah. But if it goes south for them, I can also say, oh, I found this out and blah, blah, blah. And he was later executed in like March of 45 because he didn't yeah. do, he didn't come out with it to the, to the authorities that needed to know. But he kind of plays the whole time as this like kind of seeing where it'll go. And yeah. like, it's kind of, it's a really interesting part of the movie. Probably the most interesting thing is his whole place in the movie is very strange. The one uh, but, thing I do remember about the movie and that would be a lot slightly in the more positive area yeah. would be as far as the overall feel or the vibe of it is it does capture the um, sweaty desperation of Germany in these yes. waning moments yeah. of the war. Um, and, you know, that these guys realize that they're likely going to lose, and so it's like, do we want to lose going down with the ship, or do we want to lose trying to say, well, we weren't like everyone else, yeah. and we weren't as, you know, demented. I mean, literally the moment of the movie at the end. Or it's just when, pure, not even, we're not even as demented as them, it's a pure survival instinct. Right, just well, that, like, and I'll come back to that in a second, but that moment when Kenneth Branagh puts the, like, he's going to kill himself with a grenade, and it's the most over-the-top moment of all time, he's like, the there's voiceover from earlier in the movie when he's like, we need to show the world that not all of us were like him, and it's just like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like the most trailer moment ever, you know. But, yeah, so I was looking into this last night that, first of all, some of the people like specifically Terrence Stamp's character, yeah. Ludwig Beck, who was like a general in the army, yeah. uh, was very much early on against the Nazi party, was, you know, suspect suspected a lot of them, and wasn't a, that I was able to ascertain a proponent of... Uh, you know, Aryanism and anti-Semitism and the Holocaust. There were other people in that group that felt that way too, but specifically Stauffenberg did advocate for the Aryan nation and for a lot of the national socialist aspects of Nazism, but just felt that it wasn't going successfully. But the movie doesn't say that. The movie posits it as... No, this Tom Cruise character was against those things, which is a blatant falsehood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there also, though, is a lot of questioning about what the official intents of those people were because they didn't leave behind a whole lot of documentation talking about what they wanted to do. And also, following, as presuming they would have taken over the government, they would have not have wanted to been more on the allied side you know allied led ideas of you know shrinking germany's size that it had gotten to they would have wanted to expand ex- con- or at least contain what they had had which was incredibly unrealistic yeah. of a, you know so there's a lot of questions as to what actually that would have turned into obviously yeah um it probably would have been something similar about what happened at the end of the war, except a little different, where after Hitler committed suicide and then Goebbels was, I think, more in charge for like one day and then he committed suicide yeah. or something. So there were like a couple people there before they finally gave up yeah. in like for like a month or so or even less. But the, it's unclear about what the definitive timeline or timeline of any of that transition would have been so swift anyway yeah and like i feel like there would have been i mean it literally would have gone into a civil war ultimately and like you know so it's doubtful about what would have actually occurred 
you know, there. But all of that's just to say that the movie, I feel like it's a little too clean and clear-cut about what it wants it to be. And I feel like a more interesting version of the movie actually could have been longer and would have been more questioning even inside the Resistance ideologically. Because they have a lot of battles in the movie about when they want to do it, and there's the whole question of should we even kill Hitler if Himmler's not there as well, Yeah, since he's the head of the SS, and like a whole question of what that would mean. And so, therefore, I feel like there should have been more about their literal ideological quabbles that would have been within that resistance group, but whatever. Yeah. The movie isn't that good, so it doesn't how do that. How fascinating is it, too, that this came out in 2009, and less than a year later, you have Inglorious Bastards that come yeah. along. Yeah. And, cause and I there remember, are some I actors remember, that are in both movies. Now, I remember also. watching um, Valkyrie, and like I was, I would have been in early high school at the time, so I wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. I, I had a lot more to learn. But even still, I was like, well, this doesn't, ha- you know, doesn't happen because right, the World War Two ended later, and so whatever. And then with Inglorious Bastards, you watch that and you're like, well, they can't kill Hitler, you know? They, yeah, right. That, that ain't gonna happen. Yeah. And then it's like, no, we are gonna do yeah, it. Right. It's just, yeah. And I know we're talking about Tarantino versus yeah. Brian Singer here, but um, what a bolder, fresher yeah. vision of World War Two that is, and it's yeah. not quote accurate, right? Exactly. But tells us a lot about France, about Jews, about a lot about. I mean, there's a lot of Nazism depicted in Waltz's character. Yeah, that is just so uh, fresh or bold yeah, and compared and, and, to something and, like and, that. Uh, I mean, op- it opines a lot on German cinema and German propaganda machine, yeah. and I know there's a lot in that movie that's very specific. And, I, and again, and, he's right, he's yeah. genre bending, and he's right. like he can he's Tarantino, so he's like it's part spaghetti western, part revenge movie, part war movie, um, but it, it just it lives in the mind, and even yeah. people who don't like it, that is just a widely talked about and discussed and studied movie already. Yeah. Valkyrie's been absolutely oh yeah totally and that, forgotten about. And I think about. that I mean, is why I beat the drum for it more than I should is because I feel it's forgottenness. And I'm like, no, we have to remember, like... We like, have to remind you, everybody so that remember, we're not all remember, like... Yeah, remember, right. We have to tell the world that not all of us were like... I mean, <laughs> you remember the part in the movie where they're like, they have those little yellow cards that are their symbol? Yeah. Like, I should print a bunch of those off and be like, we remember Valkyrie, you know? Like, but... Anyway, and well, like, one thing that I'm sadly nostalgic for is that movie, and I think I mentioned this last time we talked about it, and we turned out to talk about it, I think more now than uh, in the yeah. past, which is fine. Um, was that, that was when Tom Cruise was more willing to be in yes. non-action yeah. movie kind of thing, and I love Tom Cruise, and I wish he'd move more. and And it's ironic because again, lines for lines for lambs and this were around the same time, and. Neither one of these movies were widely talked about, so he's like, "Well, I guess I'll just do well." And Christopher, Mc- Christopher McQuarrie wrote this. Movie. Yeah, and I think that's honestly and one of the biggest. And he had written Usual Suspects right. previously with. Matt oh, Singer. okay, I didn't know that, that was actually kind yeah, of his right. formal big okay. first thing introduction. Yeah, uh, that was I think maybe technically kind of their inter- formal introduction um, with McQuarrie and Cruz, and ever since then they've been right. very largely in yeah. cahoots. With and it, I mean, that's a good screenplay in the sense. And it, of, he's a good writer. I yeah. mean, he, I mean. He's not a writer like the Coen Brothers or like Paul Thomas Anderson or Tarantino, like or you know. But when it comes to like blockbustery type cinema, he's among the best that are working yeah. today. I mean, he's uh, there's a reason Tom Cruise is like I want you to work with me and 
you know, these new Mission Impossible yeah. movies. Uh, and I think so. one of the strongest things about the movie is, like I said, the the economy with which it gets forth a lot of specific plot, not even literally the movie, but the plot itself that occurred in history gets a lot of that information very mm-hmm. economically. Yeah. Uh, and one thing about the movie I find so fascinating is that from an American perspective to see the vast uh, bureaucracy of yeah. the Nazi party is a window is a window into the amount of effort that must go into fascism to yeah. keep something like that running. And there's so many different there's all these cuz it's kind of it's confusing I think intentionally. There's like this office here, but then they have to go to this office and there's all these different offices that have di- and it's that way in America too. So mm-hmm. I'm not in in most countries, but it's a lot of very specific places that run different parts of different things of Germany. Yeah. And it's all very, like I said, specific to the point of being confusing, but I think that's an effective, you know, representation of that that I haven't seen in any other American film mm-hmm. to that level. And it's hilarious, you know? too, just, uh, we won't go into this too deeply, but, like, such a bureaucratic state is, like, uh, you know, weirdly reminiscent of a lot of the things they criticize about Soviet Russia and like yeah. socialism or communism yeah. of this bureaucratic state and mm-hmm. here they are reproducing yeah. it and to much Well and I've tried ends, I've tried know. to explain to the kids how similar those things actually are and they're not as different as yeah they seem. Yeah. So they kinda get that I think hopefully. Yeah. But anyways, so that's Valkyrie so talk. There you go, kids. Valkyrie talk. That's why yeah. Kyle thinks it's so funny, I guess. Is it's, yeah, just because uh, it is the most middle school movie ever. Yeah. Even though I didn't quite see it in middle school, it was so close to that yeah. time it effectively was. Another thing about the movie that really aggravates me is how it's like they're speaking German at the very beginning oh, and then yeah. it transitions into English like And it's weird another that, movie like, uh, that, did that Tarantino is uh Working more in the realm of pastiche, but he's like, no, Germans will speak German, French will speak French. Like, is more respectful. That's one of the of most multilingual things. movies I've ever seen. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, and even Dominic de Coco. I mean, Dom- even a little bit of Dominic de Coco, Italian. Dominic you know? de Coco, bravo. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and like how another big movie that does that is The Hunt for Red October. Does that memorably yeah. too, where it's the like beginning. Sam Neill and uh, and Sean Connery are talking, and that uh, just. That's so annoying to yeah. me because it's like just put it in German, yeah. you know, or I don't know. It, yeah. Even Mel Gibson put Passion of the Christ in like Latin, Aramaic, and Hebrew. Like yeah. you know, that's like a big deal. So yeah, whatever. Didn't hurt his box office. No. So that's it for Valkyrie talk for this week. <laughs> but who knows? We we may talk about it more in the future. Who knows? But yeah, that was all just pro, past his prologue, as they say. You yeah. know. Now, we gotta, we just gotta get into the first 2022 Blue Plate special. Hi, Audrey. Hello, Ma. Have a cup of coffee, please? Sure. I'll have what she's had. Right here, we gave the people a pay raise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they were. They didn't like staying late last time, right. you know. But we gave them a bonus. Yeah. yeah, and they're like, really, y'all had to make us watch Kadoo. This is the first time we're mentioning, by the way, that 
Skidoo was our last film, yeah. which I think we're kind of oh, yeah. ready to turn the page yeah. and forget on. No, that, that movie was uh, yeah. Again, that was so we talked about it, but yeah. like even the I kind like it's the first time I saw it, there were the kind of things to laugh at in the novelty. Yeah. And it just instantly disappeared this time. Yeah. I was just like, this is dumb. It's like yeah, not it's good. Real, it's I mean, really it's bad. got moments, of, yeah. but yeah, no, overall no, not it's good. Bad. Speaking of a film that has moments, um, it's not bad though. It's um, the, it, who t- knows what it is. Twenty four frames per second. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, you know, like uh, Annette from last year already, twenty twenty one. We were trying to make towards the end of the year. We were like, oh, let's try to get caught up on some of the big releases going to streaming. We've talked about this over and over yeah. again on here. One of the biggest problems of things going to streaming is the whole idea More of like going to hell. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like oh, like you can watch it whenever. If I can watch it whenever, the impetus for me to watch that as opposed yeah. to anything else. It's not even that that thing is bad. No. There's certain things like One Night in Miami. I still actually Sound really want to sit down to that. Yeah. There's a lot, lot, lot of things I actually really want to see, but I'm like... Don't, when well, it, don't look up, too. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. when it enters the whole digital space, I'm just like, oh, yeah, eventually. As opposed to Licorice Pizza is playing in theaters. Yeah. This, now, if it was a Paul Thomas Anderson film or a Martin Scorsese film, hits. Yeah, I'm right. going to stop and yeah. watch. I mean, yeah. the first day The Irishman dropped. Yeah. We watched it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it so, was like the day before Thanksgiving, and we got up a little earlier than we yeah, had to. It's like early Christmas or, present right, or yeah, something. And, we're yeah. like, and went down to our basement and watched it. We were literally like, all right, we're doing it. Yeah. yeah. So, so that yeah. should be said. Yeah. But, but no, like these mid-level movies, and I don't even mean that negatively, but well, for example, specifically in the context of Don't Look Up, that... Like, there's a uh, new Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, well, movie that and, exists and yeah, is out, and uh, I've not seen it yeah, yet. Like I mean, that, The King... And beautiful boy, all specifically, which I'll have my son yeah. in them. Mm-hmm. Mr. Chalamet. Yeah. Timothee Chalamet. Yeah. That's how you actually say All you Dune uh, seventh graders out there, you've yeah. probably heard about. Well, yeah. and by the way, I told them I've pre ordered the 4K. Yeah. It's coming. Like, it's like look next out. week, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. So we might be soon. doing it soon. Yeah. I don't know. In class. But uh, during lunch, of course. No, no, no. Wit and wisdom takes priority. we got to get through that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the. Uh, but all those movies are like, my son is in those, and yeah. I haven't seen them, because they all of them have went directly into, A, either Netflix or Amazon, mm-hmm. and I haven't gotten to them, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I just think it's a uh, it's a shame. Uh, Annette, that had played at Cannes last year, it was the newest film by Leo Carax, um, starring uh, Adam Driver, who's, you know, frankly, one of our or best, most exciting actors yeah. at the present moment, Marion Cotillard, and a wooden puppet. Yeah, are the stars <laughs> of the film. Um, no, we weren't, and we weren't talking about Bruce Willis. We're talking about there's actually a wooden puppet in the movie. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, unless it was Bruce. If so, I that mean, was the performance of his life. Yeah, if it was. No, it was you know. Yeah. Uh, where do you even start with this? I guess we should start first with saying. We're not super super familiar with Carax. We've both seen yeah. Holy Motors. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen it. Only twice. Uh, you've seen it once, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what do you even say about that? I mean, well, it, it it leaves an impression. I like I like it. It it's a movie. I I didn't rate it. There are very few movies I've ever left where I didn't give it a rating. Uh, Sweet Sweet Back was one. Yeah. Swiss Army Man was another one. That you was a movie that? I felt like I couldn't yeah. rate. I had no clue what yeah. was going on, but. Uh, that specifically the end of that movie where he's like farting across yeah. the water. I remember we were everybody was laughing so hard. I mean, I was kind of laughing, but I remember the whole theater. That's the end of the movie. Right. 
It was that he was, was the like, lead this, in the yeah, movie. Yeah, this is yeah. the note we're yeah, in right. this song. And like, I was just like, it was one of the most interesting theater experiences. So that was on campus at Wilmington. Okay, I yeah. saw it, and we, everybody was just like, "What is this?" Yeah. Like, you know, that's one of the most <laughs> unique experiences I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but specifically, Holy Motors is a movie that I quite like. I would probably give it two and a half. Yeah. Or maybe even three. Yeah. Because one thing about that movie, one thing, I don't know if you could tell, it's pretty pretentious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, I feel like this movie's even more pretentious than that, though. But, uh, because this, you know, Holy Motors is intentionally, like, there is nothing grounded about this. It is totally nonsense. It's kind of a, a anti-narrative. Right, yeah. and, like, this tries to do that. Yeah. It tries to, it has the same sort of uh, beating heart that that does of madness, but like it's, but it is more intentional. Denis Levant is the really unequivocal star yeah. of Holly Motors, and he's an amazing actor. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially after seeing Bo Travail. I mean, yeah. he, I'd really want to see more stuff from him. I think he's worked with Karak. Yeah, he's in, I think, Lovers on the Bridge and uh, Mavo Sang and some of those other movies. Uh, those, and the whole movie, in many ways, that Holly Motors is about like. If you want to try to attach a narrative to it, it's about the concept of a performance artist going through yes. these various yeah. modes and things. And, and reflecting things about human life and culture, I guess, is the way, is the way to describe it. And I remember, it, yeah. I think I saw that in... I could go back. Let me let me try to find my letterbox. came out in 2012. Yeah, it came out in yeah. 2012, I remember. I can't remember if it was... When exactly I saw it. I do remember seeing it on campus uh, at UNC yeah. Wilmington, which has been... Uh, yeah, it was early 2013. Yeah. Okay, so it was like early, and I and I remember when that movie hit in 2012. And 2012 was a big film year for me because that was when The Master came out, and that kind of yeah. reoriented a lot of things about me and my life in a variety of ways. But I remember when that came out, and there was all this conversation. Oh my God, Leo Carax! I never heard of him before. Right. Uh, and this movie was just like you know, it's first one in a while, and it's this big explosion of ideas. And saw it, didn't hate it, but didn't really like it either when I first saw it. And then since when I rewatched it with you, I was like, oh, okay, you know what? I think I do like this a little better. Yeah. I still don't love it, but I respect it more so. Yeah. Um, again, how does Annette for you compare to Holy Motors in terms of what it's trying to express? And let's just say, again, yeah. we've not seen his other films. Right. These are the yeah. only two. But it seems like, you know, what my understanding of him, that he is in a more kind of, he's moved away maybe from things he did. Yes. previously and he's in this certain mode right. now as a filmmaker of making these yeah i think that holy motors is so i mean i get the feeling in the sense of you know it it's it's complicated because i've been thinking a lot about weirdness because i'm currently watching tropical cocktails which is one of the weirdest things i've ever seen by that guy uh I'm going to look up his name here, but he made that movie, The Greasy Strangler. Yes, that is a real movie, if you haven't ever heard of it. Uh, it sounds like a recurring... Yeah, Jim uh, Hosking. Um, it sounds like a recurring column in the Focus magazine, uh, yeah. if, if you know. If you're, you know yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, so those uh, local Caldwell County folks will know that. Yeah. But yeah, and that is very intentionally weird just to be weird, you know, and it's like very grating and annoying Holy Motors, though, something like that. It's interesting I'm comparing these two things, but I've been thinking a lot of, you know, somewhat about this. Holy Motors acts in a sense of intentional weird. I mean, it's intentional. Anything is weird. If it's weird, it's intentionally weird. We're yeah. going to actually be talking about this 
eventually later on about yeah. what does this mean actually yeah. to call something weird. But that with this, you know, with Holy Motors, I mean, it, it, it is making certain, I guess, statements about art and, like you said, performance art and life. I mean, and the movie's so absurd, but it has the moment at the towards the end of the movie. Spoiler for those who don't want to know this. Yeah. There's another moment like this we'll talk about with Annette later, yeah, yeah. which is even funnier mm-hmm. somehow. There's a moment towards the end of Holy Motors where he's moved around the whole movie, been dressed up as these different people, and then he comes home as this like middle class worker guy, dad yeah. or whatever family man. Because yeah. I think he's really like a family man. Is it, the name of is the like that character kind of character section of it? And he walks in the house, yeah. and it's all shot in this weird pink because there's like some like uh, fireworks going off, yeah. and it's all like pink tinged. He walks in the house. And his family comes to greet him, and it's these two chimpanzees <laughs> literally walk down the 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 yeah. stairs. Yeah, like if you think I'm making this up, no, that's I remember when really I first saw movie, that, right? and the whole think this is coming yeah. at the end of right. this whole no, movie. No, the whole movie's been this. It has just laid on you like a rock. How absurd it is! And like, then I remember when it, I first saw that, yeah. and on the big screen too, and yeah. that moment happens, and I was just like. It just hits yeah. me over the head. I'm like, what the hell is any of this? Yeah, right. I remember just started <laughs> yeah. laughing. Yeah. Just because he was like taking, holding her hands like yeah. very seriously. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah. what is this? I was just like, and, and not, not yeah. even a bad way. Yeah. Totally. I was just like, no. And like, and what? that's what is so crazy. Then he like takes him upstairs and they're looking out the window. Yeah. And he, and I swear it's a moment that touches me. You no, know, it's, it's weirdly and it's like, and he sentimental. Says, Our yeah. life is about to change. Yeah, and you want to you you don't know if you want to laugh or you want to cry. Yeah. It's the I've never seen a movie do anything like that yeah. emotionally. It's yeah. one of the weirdest things. Yeah, I've ever seen yeah. in a movie. I mean, it truly is something else. Like, and that I think represents to me what the movie is ultimately about. And how it, I think, mostly succeeds is that it is like you go out, you live a crazy wild right, life, and, and then the, you come home to your ape family. Right, and, it's and it, all but and, and but it the fact that the movie could make me feel that way yeah. after being so relentlessly absurd, yeah, says something about the movie that I can't put into words. That I feel like it is successful yeah. in whatever it's trying to do. I don't know what it is exactly, yeah, but it is. Annette, I didn't feel that way about. I felt like it was, first of all, tried to do more of a cohesive story. And I feel like he's done that in the past with movies like Lovers on the Bridge. I feel like that, by all appearances, seemed to be more of a movie, like, you know, of narrative. This is a narrative that is about artists in the modern world, and it tries to put this whole thing in there about Me Too. I felt like that was kind of shady about what it is saying yeah so like let's just talk about adam driver's character for a little bit here because he plays like a of stand-up comedian basically which is the like it's funny and how unfunny he usually is and that's not to say anything of adam driver's performance but just the character as written he's just like he's like he comes in dressed like a boxer he's got this big robe on and he's like and he like swings his like um, the microphone, the microphone like it's a lasso or something, and that, and he's all about oh nobody wants to hear how shocking my truth is or whatever. And it should be said like the very 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 beginning of the movie, there's this voiceover narration that is presumably for his shows, but is in a very arch pretentious way talking about the movie itself, yeah. like 
there will be no talking. Yeah. Um, you know, what is it, what is it all is it is saying? There would be no talking, like, don't even breathe. Yeah, like, a whole, no like, farts. Yeah. Like, just no, like, it's like, I mean, and that's what I think is so fascinating you know, about head so hard. Carax it's, yeah. is like, his movies just literally grab you by the throat. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, Holy Motors never let go. Well, you remember this, how Holy Motors starts is where like, it's, it's like him these, in the movie. Well, also yeah. it's like those people, like those almost blank faces watching a cinema screen or yeah. like pointed forward. And I feel like he's saying the same thing, but it's visual. Yeah, it's not didactic and hitting yes. you over the head with words. You know what I mean? And, and I then feel he, like that's, in both of these movies, he's at the beginning of the movie as himself. Yeah, he's not afraid to just insert himself in. Yeah. Uh, but the movie starts so propulsively, and also the biggest thing we forgot to mention is this is a collaboration with the Sparks Brothers. Yeah, they co-wrote, or um, they basically conceived of and wrote the right. movie, and I think Cracks maybe came in and did some right. rewrites. But and it, they it appear in a, the movie, yes, and they have musical. Music the it, it's yeah. a musical that they made, ultimately. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's not a Cracks movie, because it very clearly is, if you've yeah. seen Holy Motors. But it feels like it isn't totally his thing. Sure. It's their thing, too. Yeah. And I don't feel personally, and I, I haven't been into the whole Sparks thing. I'm not. That's not something I'm a very. I'm it aware. Should be said I'm, that this yeah. year in particular, 2021, they yeah. kind of have a, seemingly a revival of sorts. Edgar yeah. Wright just made this documentary about them that's kind of brought a lot of you know attention to them, right. as and this movie too yeah. at the same time. And so I'm not as aware of their music. I haven't heard really any of it, so let that be known. But I don't feel like this movie was an adequate meeting of the minds. I felt like it was trying to be both things, and it didn't kind of yeah. totally come together. It's also just because it seems like that's just not my cup of tea. I don't know. But specifically, the movie starts kind of like a... Se- there's that famous sequence in Holy Motors where they're playing the accordions, yeah. And he shoots it the same way as this, where it's like them in the studio, the Sparks Brothers, performing a song that's like, now we must start. Yeah. It's very obvious about the movie is now beginning. Yeah. And it's just very propul and like Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard are in are in it and they're all walking down this it's like very it's weird because we it's movie. both meta but also i feel like they are in the movie those characters at the same time yeah. it's very weird i mean I, it's like movies don't normally do you know start like that obviously yeah. so the movie starts very propulsively very yeah. in your face but then over the rest of the movie i feel like it becomes too uh mainstream yeah. almost i mean yeah. it's still very i mean to call that movie mainstream people would probably laugh at that yeah but like you know it's like what I've said about the opening of Midsummer. Like that movie opened so in your face, you know, different. Yeah. And then proceeds to just be a state of the art A twenty four horror movie. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say state of the art. No, what well, I mean, was, mean ironically uh, almost like, just like yeah. um uh, paint by numbers. Yeah, that's yeah. What more what I meant. Just yeah. a, just a very basic A twenty four movie. I feel like this is kind of the same thing. Yeah, that it just kind of becomes nothing. Yeah, uh, but starts so strong and then just kind of sputters out and it isn't really anything. Whereas, like I said, Holy Motors is a consistent. Like this happens. That this thing. Ha- it's like you never know what to expect with that. I didn't necessarily know what to expect with this movie either. Yeah. Like how much Simon Helberg was in it. Yeah. Uh, especially later on. And what's so weird about the movie is that, you know, there's a lot of, like, obviously musical numbers 
in the movie, and there's that one that was so dumb where he was like, I was in love with her. I did this. Yeah. It's like very just like, what? Like, yeah. It's just so dumb. And then they drown him. He gets drowned. And, then, and yeah, and they, like, well, one thing yeah. I think we're burying the lead here yeah. that Adam Driver and Marion Coltyard have a child named Annette who proceeds to be played by the vast majority of the rest of the movie by a wooden puppet. Yeah, like ninety five percent of the yeah. movie. I mean, there's yeah. like the very, very, very end. There's a real like kind girl. Of transitions, yeah. but like at Pin- Pinocchio happened. I guess yeah, I don't she's know. becoming a real girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she is privy and witness to some of the horrific things that Adam Driver does over yeah. the course of the movie. Uh, like, say, spoiler alert again, killing Simon Hilberg. Well, of course, killing his own wife yeah. too. She's aware of that. Um, so she ends up. So the wooden puppet ends up. Like becoming this singing sensation that has the uh, voice of her mother, right? Basically, yeah. is the implication. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and well, let me also just say it's got these like in the movie these periodic like tabloid news updates, yes, which yeah. are so um puerile and stock to the point of absurdity. They're just yeah. like it's just like almost like what I would imagine. Karak's views yes. real versions yeah. of this to be and look like and he's not all that far wrong either. Yeah. Um and and it interrupts the movie every once in a while with these like, oh, a baby Annette is a big sensation. And yeah. just like, you know, uh, yeah, just like right. these like and then Annette gets her big moment. She's at the was the, the Hyper Bowl. The Hyper Literally, Bowl. Yes. Which is like basically yeah. the Super Bowl. I told my kids this when I came back the other day from school, I, was, I literally watched the movie because we've been talking about hyperbole oh, in right. English, and we joked, "Oh, the hyperbole, yeah." And then I said, "There's literally a movie I just watched where there's something called the hyperbole." So yeah. yeah, but anyway, and so her big moment, she's basically like you know playing the halftime show, I guess, um, and she just stands. Okay, so she's on top of a glowing inverse pyramid. Yeah, and there's and, this big long pause. She's not saying or doing anything, yeah. you know, and then she very. Well, then they keep yeah. saying, give baby Annette a moment. She's a baby, after all. Yeah, like, yeah and it's like... <laughs> and, yeah, and that keeps they keep restarting it, and Adam Driver's clearly like, this is just screwed, yeah. whatever, you know. And then... She says, daddy kills people. Yeah. Uh, announces to the world. Yeah, and... and well, well, we were just dying laughing. No, we were... We pro- I was probably laughing for about... Three to four minutes nonstop, and for it's, whatever failures yeah. the movie has, the fact that it leads up right. to that moment yeah. <laughs> alone is worthy. of And those celebration. are her first words, technically. Yeah, yes, because she sings, but it's not like word. It's like just very like, like almost like the my heart will go on Titanic cooing sounds. Yeah, you know, it's like very like you know. But she never actually says anything until that moment. Those are her first words. Yeah, like. Yeah. Or so then, daddy kills people. Like, and, and it's kind of like uh, sweet and cute, but yeah. what she's saying is yeah. obviously And then it's like in front of literally the whole world. Like, yeah. it, and it's one of the most absurd images I've ever seen. Yeah. It's it's almost like, like I said, it's kind of like the, that moment at the end of Holy Motors yeah. where you're like, you've been beat over the head with this nonsense for so long yeah. that you break yeah. at that point. You're just like, but I felt Holy Motors is an even bigger version of that yeah. far, because that's just so... That also is tied into all these emotional elements, whereas the mo- this movie atten- intends to be romantic and more emotional and never, I feel like, gets there. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, I would agree. Uh, 
And so he ends up getting investigated and thrown yeah, in jail, right. and they like figure out he killed Simon Hilberg. And I don't know if his wife's death was really as much connected well, to him. I yeah, feel like it was more of the Hilberg. I think that's Hilberg, something they couldn't prove, but was assumed yeah. that he did do it rightfully. But yeah. that they assume rightfully that he did. But I don't think he was on trial for that necessarily. Yeah. But I don't know. And then throughout the movie, there's this random like mark on his face that keeps getting bigger. It's yeah, like purple. Yeah, it's like okay. Yeah, I I don't know, but yeah. Um, another thing about the movie I want to talk about um, is that, like we said, the movie tries to be this whole Me Too thing right. about the question of like, oh, he's an artist, and like, by the way, his name is Henry McHenry. Yeah, What's I don't even know what that, that hell's supposed yeah. to mean. But that it's trying to do this whole thing of like you know oh like can can people recover from the Me Too thing? What does that and mean? And also for, like oh is it just because they can't they can't respond to his truth? Right. I feel like it's part of it. Too. And I don't know how the movie feels about him definitively either. Yeah, I don't know. And I think that's a big problem for a movie like that because it's not definitively putting forth any ideas about who he is and um. Yeah, and another thing that was there was one moment that we were laughing about. A lot of the like, a lot of the voices in the movie that just come out of nowhere, yeah, are very much like, very like harsh and stock and weird. Like, there's that moment where he says something on stage, and somebody's like, "That's not very funny, Henry." Yeah, like <laughs> just this very like almost inhuman voice. It's yeah. like what, like and. Yeah. All these reactions that people have that are just like, like you said, I feel like there's a lot of things that both Sparks and Carax are saying about about pop culture that they find strange yeah. or weird, and I'm like, well, there's some things I could find strange or weird too, you know. But, yeah. But it's it's uh, and that but like I said, the movie has this romanticism about it that I don't particularly understand how people get that out of it. But, I don't either. Um, it's one of those movies yeah. that ultimately, I think you would agree, where Grateful exists. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not particularly wowed or immersed by yeah. in the way that because it was Because Holy Motors is a movie I've continued to think about and yeah. has stayed in the mind because it's literally like you can do this as a movie. Whereas this felt like parts of it I felt that way, but never as much as that. And, you know, it, it, does that mean anything? Not if the movie's great, but it's not. Or good enough that you can say, okay, well, it was ambitious and it didn't get there, but it was still all right. This just felt like it never got anywhere, particularly. Yeah. So, so that's Annette. It's streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, check it out if you got uh, about two and a half hours of uh, nothing else going on Just in your skip life. to the Hyper Bowl part. But I feel like, you know... But, but I feel like the, yeah, the brilliance home, of it is right. that it's building yes, to that, right. too. But, yeah, and I know so, what you mean. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyways. Speaking of uh, disasters... Flights of fancy. Yeah, yeah. flights of fancy disasters. We're actually going to start a mini-recurring segment on this show. It's not going to last for too, too long. That involves the airport franchise. Um, and we've been wanting to get around to these movies yeah. for some time. Because they're kind of seen as the epitome of disaster films of the 70s in many ways. The whole airport franchise. So, welcome to our very first installment of a recurring segment called Baggage Claim. It went out the window! Window! Oh, oh, what's up? 
there you go. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, I've yet to make that theme yet. Yeah. So we'll whatever see what it happens. was, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, and you know, in many ways, airport itself uh, orients itself around such what will happen, right? In the yeah. same way that I, I'm now wondering what will happen when I make this theme, what will happen over the course of the, uh, this film. So airport, the very first one was from 1970. Um, again, I kind of said it, but what for you is the appeal of going back and trying to start watching some of these movies? Well, specifically, the reason I've always wanted to watch them, part of it is that idea of the disaster movie that one of the biggest of these is The Towering Inferno, which I haven't seen. I've You've seen, seen that. that. Yeah. I'd like to at some point, but that these movies have just like a you know big ensemble cast big of people stars. from that time. Yeah. Um, and a lot of random character actors yes, too. You yeah. Know? Specifically with this one, some of the biggest people were Dean Martin and Burt Lancaster and George Kennedy um, and what were some other ones I'm forgetting off the uh, head. Uh, Van Heflin. Seberg was in it. Yeah, uh, Gene Seberg. Uh, different people. But anyway, specifically the reason I wanted to get into these right now is because we just Jack mentioned... Bissett. Yes. We had just mentioned recently that I had watched Hotel, um, which was written by Arthur Haley, who also wrote Airport. And around this time, in literature, but even in movies, obviously we were getting this whole oversized narrative with all these different characters, kind of an early hyperlink idea, basically. And that these movies intend to make you feel like they're more than they are because they include so much. Um, I feel like Airport was a more, just slightly more successful version of Hotel because it actually felt bigger. Yeah. Um, and also had more stars in it. Yeah. But uh, I guess the main appeal was just the idea also for me, this is very specific, but obviously the 50s and 60s were kind of the the service decade, Mm -hmm. Uh, the consumer service decade of like everything had to be, uh, and Hotel went into this kind of too, but the whole idea of everything's got to be so nice, everything's exotic and luxurious, you know, post-World War II America of like, you got you got to go somewhere. Everybody's traveling. Everybody's having a good time, and we're yeah. going to get you there in style. And that I feel like airport and hotel both, but especially airport is the first true examination of like, but the danger inherent to that, yeah. both literally and just that things are starting to fall by the wayside. Things are crumbling at the end of the '60s of that, and things are getting more about, and we just want to get there fast. And we just want everything to run a certain way. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's a very specific idea that I'm interested in. But uh, that and just seeing all the people in it. And I guess kind of, you know, the first real disaster movie. Because early on, you know, it wasn't particularly that, totally. It was a little bit... And it should be noted that disaster movies had seen versions of this uh, with Godzilla and monster movies, you know, big monster movies of the 50s also... Um, nuclear war movies in the 60s but that as far as like natural disasters and or plane crashes or like boats or stuff like that became to be a big thing in the 70s well um, also you know being in 1970 like you still haven't quite had a lot of the uh, terrorism you know some of the hijackings that would yeah. later characterize the 70s, but in some ways it's weirdly predictive of right. some of those things. Like the too. Carlos the Jackal stuff in the 70s and uh, yeah, and the, and the Iranian hostage crisis and, and all the planes that were hijacked and yeah. the, uh, the uh, uh, Patty Hearst stuff. And yeah, yeah, like there's all that stuff that, yeah, like you said, it's kind of on the cutting edge of that. Interestingly, though, the Van Heflin character in this movie literally is only doing this 
to blow the plane up so that he can get insurance for his family because he keeps losing his job and he has these uh, these uh, basically mental disorders. It's not very definitive about what they are, but that he had been, I guess PTSD more or less, yeah. is sort of what it is that he had uh, been in the war, I guess World War Two or Korea maybe, and that he had he was a demolitions expert and that was why he was able to do this. So it's a lot more vague, yeah. And there's not a lot of ideology behind it, yeah. Um, and that's a very 1970 thing, as we see, uh, kind of as we're getting at, is it's a lot more about that sort of thing than it would be ideological stuff that would be coming in the 70s, right. you know, more. But but uh, as you said, he he's kind of this lone wolf guy, yeah. which fits into a lot of, you know, 60s yes. things in terms yeah. of a lot of the assassinations. That and, even, and even D.B. Cooper that had been just before that yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and or around that same time, rather. yeah, right, actually, right, right, it was like right around 1970, time, yeah. I think. Um, so we're gonna again start watching some more of these and see how this un- unveils itself. One thing that really or stuck 71 out to me is when that was. Yeah, so one thing that really sticks out to me though about um, this film is, in certain senses, it's almost um, a term, a more modern term that people use to describe some movies, but I think could be applied to this too. Um, a certain level of competence porn. Meaning yeah. it's like, oh, all these crises and a certain wish fulfillment we as audiences or consumers have to say, oh, but people are in the right positions and make the right decisions. Yeah. This got described a lot with um, uh, The Martian, uh, the Matt Damon, yeah. Ridley Scott movie, uh, that it's it's less about these characters being these living, living, breathing, distinct people, and more about how they're responding to these crises. It's kind of like Apollo thirteen is the same yeah. too. Those yeah. types of space movies, space disaster movies, are their own yeah, thing. Right. Gravity as yeah, well. Gravity as well. Um, now, I do think that you know part of it being the stars that are being used in this. They do have these little distinct personalities and quirks yeah. to themselves. Uh, somebody like Burt Lancaster is kind of the perfect star to lead yeah. this movie mm-hmm. because he's a great actor in general. And also... And a great person to do impressions of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit under the weather. Like, you know, it, like, it sounded a little bit not as good as I wanted it to. But No, Levi's good. I'm a bit under the weather today. My impressions are not what, what you would say, hashtag on point. Right? But, <laughs> I love to hear Levi's yeah. Burt Lancaster. But he's like, oh, his he works too much. Yeah. And his wife just like, I'm sick of... You know, I'm sick of you working all this, and then he's maybe having a side fling with Jane Seabrook's side character, cool yeah, with, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then yeah. you got like George Kennedy's character yeah. who was like always he's like an airplane mechanic, yeah. Who like yeah. He's, this was one of his few days off, and right? He's got to go yeah. in to fix the situation, yeah. Because the whole we should set up kind of the plot here quickly. It's very simple. There's a big snowstorm at a Chicago airport, and there's a plane that lands, and because of the snow, it gets caught on like the basically the island. That of grass yeah. in between the runways, yeah. and so George Kennedy is called in to try to move it because Dean Martin's character, who's a captain for another plane, yeah, uh, is wanting to fly out on that specific uh, runway because there's a lot of noise pollution with like over here. Yeah, so and there's so a whole like, little afterthought yeah. thing of like yeah. people complaining about the noise pollution. I yeah. feel like that. I feel like in an earlier draft or something, that yeah. was probably a bigger deal. And that got was probably a bigger thing then, in a novel or something. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, so like, meanwhile, they're trying to get that move, that plane. Well, then when they're having to fly the plane back in after it gets halfway blown up, um, 
they're wanting to they have to land it there or they can't land it basically because the all the other airports are closed because of snow and so basically george kennedy is saying oh we can move this if you push it hard enough because he's yeah. like, i know these machines we can do it or whatever and there's all these like regulations that they're they can't get through you know and yeah. like they're like oh can we do it and like then they're wanting to like get these big like earth movers to come and like move it and he's like no i'm gonna move it myself and they're like you've got to and uh lancaster's like i'm going to send them and you've got to get out of there yeah. you know like and he's like get out of the plane like you know and he's like uh, we're going for broke he says yeah. at one point like literally pushes it and he gets it out barely but it's like what would have happened if he didn't and it like blew up or something you know yeah. but like yeah so like it's all this very specific stuff's going on and Burt Lancaster's like basically I mean Lancaster we've seen him in a lot of different kinds of roles I mean he, you had him in like movies when he was younger like uh, Santa or Veracruz that's yeah. the name of that movie I was about to mm-hmm. say Santa him Cruz, and Gary Veracruz Cooper, yeah, where he's like a young you know a young Turk as they yeah. would call it you know whatever that <laughs> even means that's such a stupid thing but something like that or even like you know uh, Sweet Smell Success or stuff like that, and then you get him in something like The Swimmer He's a little older. or this. It's more, more about and him. And then later on, something like that. Local Hero. Yeah. Or even, I haven't seen it, but Atlantic City. Yeah. That's but with good. this, it's like a kind of middle ground where he's normally so confident. And in this, he his hair is kind of out of place. Flows, he looks very on, yeah. harried. He doesn't yeah. look like he's all the way there. And I think that's the most successful thing about the movie is to position Burt Lancaster as a. Not and like you said, this kind of comp idea of competency. He is competent in the end, it turns out. But there's a whole question of the whole movie of whether or not he's actually got it together. Yeah. Which I've never seen with him before in a movie. I felt yeah. like that's never been as totally certain about oh, is he got to get other movies are a little more vague. Well, about, especially the know. swimmer, which would have came out not too long before this. Right. Uh that's a slow degradation. Yeah, right. it's all about him right. falling apart yeah. and him not being nearly as confident right. as he maybe puts on. Um, and in general, I think that's a good stand-in for what a lot of America wanted to see in 1970. They wanted to see that the in- institutions and infrastructure were being held together uh, and this confidence. Of, I mean, And that there was a pressure against yeah. them so that that could also confirm I a mean, lot it's of their not a very, beliefs. It's not know. like an explicitly political film, but I think it is very subtly a part of the whole Nixonian era of America of like, we're going to restore law and order. We're going to restore the way things are and are supposed to be. Um, and we're not going to let, you know, there's no hippie characters in the movie or no countercultural characters. But these various crises are met or avoided to the point where it is a very like, oh, it's okay. Don't yeah. worry. Everything's going to be fine. We're putting the culture in its own way back together with a certain movie like that. Yeah. Then you got like, uh, was it Helen Hayes? Yeah. Who plays kind of the most random that out of nowhere character? That is the strangest character, character of like this yeah. old maid, basically. This, who what is, they call a old biddy. Yeah, they keep saying she's basically over. like a little confidence woman who yeah. just like is kind of makes a habit of just getting all these free flights and is like yeah. so kind of charming, but like can talk her way into whatever and it knows yeah. how the system works so well. Now she's one of the most dangerous uh, individuals in America, literally. Yeah. That, like, in my opinion, like that she can just walk around and do whatever she wants seemingly is just like really bad. You yeah. Know? Uh, and at yeah. the, the end, there's almost like a little epilogue where she's like, uh, she gets like 
I guess because, you know, her service on the plane, so to speak, or the fact that she was involved in that whole incident of the yeah. Van Heflin character. Yeah, because that, she's sitting right beside, like, so, all right, so we've got Whit Bissell, my yeah. homie, on the, <laughs> on, the, on the aisle seat. Yeah. Always great to see him show up. Yeah. Then you've got her in the middle. Her in the middle, and then Van Heflin's terrorist at the window seat. Yeah. And it's like, what a three, what yeah. a random grouping of three people. Yeah. But yeah, that like, she, well, you know what's funny is that like, she sort of helps, I guess, what they're doing. Or no, yeah, she does because they get this whole thing where Dean Martin has to come out and act like he's trying to deal with her to try to grab the bomb yeah. away from him. But it all doesn't go according to plan exactly. And then you got that guy Annoying who's like, guy. yeah, that guy who was like on the uh, the bus right. at the airport earlier. And you know like, when he's yeah. he walks in, he's obnoxious. You're like, yeah. oh, we're gonna see him again. Yeah. Like, yeah. But like specifically the first scene of him, there's this kid who's like in the aisleway of the bus, and he's like, get away, your nose is running, and like slaps him <laughs> out of the way, and he almost runs into the bomb, like yeah, and right, blows it up. Right. But anyway, like he's like. When Dean Martin's trying to take the bomb away from him, he does a very, uh, how can I say this without being too overtly political, familiar uh, uh, belief of like, hey, you can't touch that. That's their property or whatever. It's just like, why don't you keep your nose out of this? You know, it's just like, what an a-hole. And then that lets the guy keep the bomb. Yeah. Then they're trying to talk him down, and a guy comes out of the bathroom, and the guy then yells, hey, he's got a bomb. And then the... Van Heflin runs into the bathroom and blows himself up and, like, basically blows the bathroom out. And it's like the guy continually screws it up right. for everybody. Yeah. And then there's a part where, like, the oxygen's going bad because of the pressurization. Yeah. And he's, like, basically going blue. And, yeah. and we were like, I just let him die. Yeah. <laughs> like, basically, like, and it's, I mean, it's awful, but it's like, he's probably going to screw something else up, so yeah. just let him die or whatever. But, yeah, I mean... And it, and that's what I think I love about movies like this is the amount of characterization that you get yeah. out of all these different people. In fact, this is one of the more definitively successful versions of this I've seen of this time period of doing that, uh, yeah. at least that I've seen. Because I haven't seen the Poseidon Adventure later on in the yeah. decade. I've seen the remake randomly, which has the famous... That was a middle school movie. I saw that in Miss Barry's class, mm -hmm. randomly. Yeah. I remember at the end of the year, one year, and it, that was that whole movie where Kurt Russell's like, that's a pressure valve. It only reacts to tremendous pressure. Now, I'm not seeing the, I'm not seeing the original Poseidon Adventure, the one that has like Gene Hackman yeah, in it right. in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, but that's, again, that's what I, I said this in my letterbox review for Airport, is I don't see why we don't make more of these movies, because they're like great avenues to kind of pursue spectacle yeah but they're also you just can get all these actors any actor you want to just kind of pop up in these and it's just a great showcase for them and i and i don't understand why in more modern movies we don't try to replicate that as a thing yeah. i mean you have san andreas right. from a few years ago which had like the which, rock you know and what was so, Gino and yeah. also like uh paul giamatti well, and that was what was so weird about that is it didn't make those connections yeah because you thought the whole time, oh, they'll get together. And I liked that about the movie. I thought that was interesting that it never connected those two strands. Do you think, though, to make this kind of serious for a moment, Yeah. do you think that the reason why we don't... And this stuff, you know, started to taper off into the 80s. So I'm not saying that this is, you know, like a definitive thing. But since 9-11, I feel yeah. like there haven't been very many movies that have done that. And I think it's because people are, and I'd say relatively rightfully, uncomfortable with seeing things like that happen in movies now because of 
the rawness of 9-11. Yeah, I, I mean, we, I mean, we, we yeah. have a whole 9-11 yeah. podcast I'd recommend you listen to. Uh, I think there's truth to that. I mean... But we had seen this as a declining trend before then, too. Yeah, I so, mean, but you do have certain movies in the 90s that was a Twister little bit Twister and that. Dante's Peak and, you know, so, Deep Impact. Uh, Armageddon. Yeah, I mean, Armageddon's yeah. a good example of that. Yeah. It has a lot of really pretty good actors yeah. in it and Ben Affleck. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know the why... After Tomorrow as well. Yeah. You know, we'll just keep going on. Uh, yeah. But, it, I don't know, I guess there was just a moment where that was very in vogue. And that was also a chance for literally when they were making these movies in the 70s, when New Hollywood was starting to get up and running more so. And I guess certain audiences in the studios, that was the business they wanted to be more in, was the yeah. disaster movies. Yeah. And then New Hollywood represented a, something a little more contrary to the culture or a little more critical of the culture. And this is in many ways kind of, again, a very Nixonian, like, no, we need to embrace establishment, embrace the culture, embrace um, the heroism of yeah. Nixon's America. Yeah, basically. and I feel like another version of that in the 70s also was the political thriller yeah. or the, the spy thriller because you had movies like, obviously, Parallax View and Three Days of the Condor, but also something like the Iger Sanction. Some of those, like, or the... Uh, Oh, what's the Anderson tapes and yeah, a lot, there are a lot of those like specifically going you know, back to the Iger sanction. A lot of these random Clint Eastwood movies that were made yeah. in the seventies that were more like that sort of thing. The Dirty and of Harry course, movies and, and those yeah. And, and yeah, the Buddy Cop movies also in the in that era. And then of course James Bond that's in yeah. Britain. But yeah, the, the, it seemed like there was more of an interest in conspiracy and thriller filmmaking. Uh, in the 70s and that, as, guess, as an you know, antidote, as a more mainstream antidote to New Hollywood. Well, I, I feel like that's the middle ground between a movie like Airport, these disaster movies, yeah. and then more critical New Hollywood movies is we're going to give you like all the trappings of a Hollywood, well-produced Hollywood yeah. film, but also maybe sneak in some conspiratorial thinking or some countercultural thinking, but that's always going to be more in the background than it maybe is in a yeah, Hollywood like movie. Yeah, like that section in uh, the Parallax View, it's probably the most famous scene in the movie where they have the brainwashing. Yeah. Or, well, it's not exactly that. It's more about they want to see how you react to it. It's yeah. kind of like in Watchmen. You remember in Watchmen, the newest version of the, the, TV, the Damon Lindelof yeah, yeah. TV show, they had that thing where they basically show these right-wing crazy people these videos and see how they react. Like a little Rorschach Like to see sort. if they're yeah. like definitively uh you know yeah. whatever you would have called them the the the, the Rorschach people or whatever and it's ironic uh, because the character doing that is like the Rorschach stand-in right. or analog i mean yeah. it was Tim Blake Nelson's right. you know uh, character yeah and like but but that scene in Parallax View is very you know bracing and weird but I guess that's uh, also coming off the heels of, say, a Clockwork Orange. Yeah, so, and know, one of the weirdest things about that is it positions itself as, like, it it sees those people viewing themselves as the comic book hero Thor. Yeah. Because it, like, keeps showing Thor in it or whatever. Yeah. Which is so weird yeah. to think of now. But you know what I love about that scene is that, like, Warren Beatty sits there, because it's all just seeing it. It's like it's you watching it. Yeah. It's like... And then it's over, and it cuts back to him, and he's, like, totally unfazed. Yeah. By, it's, like, so weird how he's just, like, all right, whatever about the whole thing. You know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. just really weird. Yeah. But, yeah, like, uh, and I feel like th something like that is in this weird middle ground between being, like, genuinely New Hollywood-esque, 
but also kind of a Hollywood version of what they think that is at the yeah, same right, time too. Right. And it's like they're trying to do a Clockwork Orange. Well, like there's said, also should be said like, in mainstream um, Hollywood films as the '70s went on, especially after Watergate, the movies were allowed to be a little more cynical yeah. than they had been because the culture was just so soaked in cynicism yeah. after Watergate and right. the evolution of that. But this is at an earlier time where there is this, you know, genuine desire that we need to embrace and um, love that, you know, the the you know everyday heroism of the common man so to speak yeah. is of what you know this movie is right in a lot of ways we're overworked we're dead tired like you know <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I haven't seen a clean shave in 18 months like you know i mean uh whatever you want to call it but yeah i mean uh i feel like it's a i guess can we i guess we can kind of start wrapping it up about yeah. airport yeah I we're gonna like get it, be returned. Yeah, return yeah, talk but about that and and I feel like that's what's funny is that this movie is more like those types of things that we're talking about, more like the '60s version of this movie. Whereas it seems like the following movies that we'll be seeing are much more like disaster movies, like yeah. definitively, and, and probably more chasing the headlines. Of yes, the day more and so like not this. as developed yeah. of a movie, I would assume as as this is. Um, Just so, to speak very briefly about towering inferno which is from a few years later and yeah. I, and I, a movie i've seen and i liked I actually first watched it and i've only seen it once in the context of writing a paper back in college about 60s and 70s era football stars who then yeah. were transitioning into being actors in hollywood and what their careers and their celebrities what that said about black americans yeah um O.J. Simpson has a small role in Towering Inferno, and that was yeah. when, one of his first earlier acting roles. But the thing about Towering Inferno is that that whole movie was sold on Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, or like the two big leads in their own way. And there's like a brief scene where it's like, oh, they're like t together or teaming up. In some ways, I mean, I feel like, you know, those movies were the earliest version of this kind of whole Avengers syndrome or complex we're living in now of, oh, look at these big stars all come together yeah, and interact. Right. And I remember even at the time before I'd seen more Paul Newman or Steve McQueen movies, just thinking, oh, I'd rather be hanging out with this Paul Newman guy right. than Steve McQueen, yeah, you know, really, yeah. uh, whatever. But, yeah. uh, you know, as far as, you know, a, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy, you yeah. know, uh, I have certain preferences in that, right. arena, I guess, for Paul Newman. But, um so again, Airport, 1970, we watched on a Blu-ray. You got like a little mini. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be coming set, back to these. So we're gonna be, uh, again, I was just looking about baggage. the Towering Inferno is 165 minutes long. It feels. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, mean, I really do want to see this movie. Actually, I've also but, not seen Earthquake either. Yeah. I've not seen that. Uh, well, yeah, Heston's the lead in that. Yes, and he's gonna be yeah. the lead in one of these other ones. Right. I guess they. It should be said. I don't think. Lancaster's in any of the no. other one of these. The only Dean recurring Martin actor who's in all of them is George Kennedy. Yes. Right? And he plays the same character, I yeah. guess, right? Yeah. Another, yes, I think so. Another, a uh, couple other of these types of movies I want to mention. The Hindenburg. Yeah. I've always wanted to see that. I think that'd be an interesting idea for that type of movie. Avalanche in the 1970s. Yeah. As Robert Forrester. Yeah. Um, then my personal favorite, by the sound of it, is a little movie called Roller Coaster. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, so literally what can happen in that movie? Yeah. Like, I Who's think that, it? well, I'm trying to find it here. Uh, I think it has, uh, I'm pretty sure it has George Seagal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. George Seagal, Richard Widmark, Timothy Bottoms, Henry Fonda, Susan Strasberg, Helen Hunt. That's a movie right there. Mm-hmm. 
See this uh, uh, banner Perlman. photo for uh, yes. uh, roller yeah. coaster on Letterbox. Yeah, that, like, that's just the, yeah. So like a the pl- I want to read about this. So this movie came out in 1977. It says, "Watch out for the man watching the roller coaster." That's the tagline. <laughs> and then the and then the plot summary. The plot is about a guile young terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> who is able to blackmail a series of companies by placing homemade radio controlled bombs within their central attraction of amusement parks, roller coasters. Wow. The young man played by Timothy Bottoms gives a hard time to the cops after they give him a UV mark give him UV mark money. He then wants revenge and places a bomb in a roller coaster at the most important amusement park event of the year. So It's fascinating that, you know, they got Timothy Bottoms playing the kind of terrorist figure in this. Yeah. Uh you know, there's a lot of these movies that are, you know, you think about Nashville, they yeah. have these young assassin type yeah. characters, which is a reflection in a lot of ways of a lot of the assassinations of the 60s into the 70s were by younger yeah. white men specifically. Right. And that's yeah. interesting. But it's interesting that in Airport, Van Heflin is older. Yes. That no. He's not like and a he's, young man yeah. necessarily. He's you know? a man that has, yeah, it's taken him a long time to come to the conclusion that he literally is incompetent. Um, and that he's worth and, more dead than alive. Yes, and that, and, yeah, that's a very... And another thing about that movie, I think that's a very mature idea. Another thing in the movie is that I was surprised by is how blatantly abortion is discussed. Yeah, in a, yeah, in and a Roe v. Wade, I think, movie. was in, what, 71? Yeah, I think that was and ruled, I was, and this was right before that. I was just like, wow, I can't believe... And I mean, of course, Ernest Hemingway's Heels Like White Elephants like is one of the most shocking... Uh, and that was in the 1920s or 30s. But they don't say what that is specifically, but you know it's about abortion. But this is, I mean, you know, obviously... I mean, it was becoming more, less taboo across the 60s into the early 70s. and so that was shocking as well. But I guess we can make the transition here. We were discussing Timothy Bottoms. Uh, We're going to discuss two very big uh, Hollywood titans that died recently. Just over the last um, the first days. one was literally yesterday, I guess. Uh, well, Poitier. Yeah, so or the says, day before. Yeah, I think okay. it might have been the day before, and it yeah. was announced the next day. Um, Sidney Poitier, and essentially, I'm talking about the '60s yeah. and into the '70s. I mean, he was one of the biggest stars, bar none. Uh, he had a run, particularly in the late '60s, that was. Um, I mean, if you. If you were paying attention to movies during that time and you consistently went to the theater, you were consistently hearing about and talking about a lot of Sidney Poitier movies. Um, in particular, in 1967, he was in To Serve With Love, but mo- mo- even larger, in a larger extent, In The Heat of the Night and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, um, all of which are pretty huge movies mm-hmm. in American cinema. Um I don't know where really to start with Sidney Poitier because he's such a huge figure. Um, and frankly and admittedly, I've not seen as many of his I movies either, as yeah. I would have liked to have yeah. seen. Um, but the first thing I thought of with his death, and he died at age 94, I believe it mm-hmm. was. So he, he lived a certainly a long, full life. Uh, I think he survived by his wife, Joanne Shimkus, and also uh, he had six children. Mm-hmm. Um so again, he first thing I thought of was the scene from In the Heat of the Night, and that's one of his most iconic movies. That's where he kind of plays, you know, uh, basically this pl- black police detective 
who is from Philadelphia. He's from the North, who I think he's, I can't remember exactly what the circumstances are. I think he's literally just kind of uh, traveling through, basically, uh, the area. No, let's see what it is. I, I couldn't quite remember. Uh, Police Chief Gillespie accused him of murder, but soon learns that Tibbs is a top homicide detective. That yeah, I think he's just kind of traveling through the South and is accused of killing someone. Oh, he's black. So it's in like Mississippi, him. yeah. And he's like, "Whoa, I'm a I'm a police detective. How dare you say that to me?" And he gets involved in trying to investigate the right. murder. Um, it was widely retweeted after his death, and I remember seeing the movie and. It's one of those things, I saw the movie 50 years after it come out, but you still feel the importance of the impact of the movie. Where he's, There's a scene where him and Rod Steiger, and they have this very fascinating uh, he's buddy kind of the, dynamic. Yeah, he's the, the, he's the local, or whatever, and yeah. he won an Academy Award, and he yeah. was actually pretty Rod great. Rod Steiger's amazing. He's yeah. a great actor yeah. in general. Uh, of them confronting this man in a greenhouse. You may have seen this scene before. And the man like, slaps... Um, Portier, Portier, yeah. and he re- immediately responds and slaps him right. back. Yeah, and he's just staggered. He's like, right. he don't yeah. even know what to say. He's like, this black man just slapped right. me. How yeah. dare he do that? Yeah. And he just slapped him. And he says something. The guy says something like, um, you know, uh, so many years ago, if you would have done that to me, I could have had this and that happen to you or mm-hmm. whatever. And he's just kind of standing there and shrugs like, whatever, I don't care, and then like leaves. Yeah, and even Steiger himself is shocked by it he staggered yeah. i guess you could say uh <laughs> yeah. and he and he and he and the guy asked stagger like what are you going to do about this and stagger's just kind of standing there he's kind of he's he's not sure what to do he's like, i don't know <laughs> he's yeah. like, and and yeah. then very famously the other scene in the movie where they he's you know he says uh well you know what do you call you around here they call you uh you know, uh, you think the guy maybe used the n-word or yeah. something else and he very famously says they call me mr tibbs and that movie was a huge deal when it came out. The same year, Guess Who Coming to Dinner was a huge deal as well. Mm-hmm. But um, Portier represented for not only white Americans, but black Americans too. And he represented a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, what black confidence looked like in yeah. the 60s. Yeah. A time where the civil rights movement was, of course, at its like high watermark. And, I mean... A movie, particularly like in the heat of the night, comes out in '67. That's kind of as the the high watermarks of the civil rights movement have started to wane, and it's giving more rise to what's going to eventually be kind black of power. black power movement. Yeah. And Portier represented a certain nice, clean confidence of what black success in America could look like, in the same way Harry Belafonte did. Yeah. And Belafonte was. Very actively involved and he's still in the with civil us. rights. He's about the same age. Yeah, I believe, they're so. about the same age. Yeah. yeah, and Portier very famously was the very first black man to win Best Actor. I yeah. think it was in 1964. He won for a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. One movie we can also both talk about: yes. the Defiant one. Yes, that's uh, the one I've been wanting. Him to and do. Tony Curtis yeah. were in. I think that movie is like every Stanley Kramer product I've ever heard of. One of the most genius ideas for a movie and yet he bum he bungles it you know what i mean well, like tony curtis and uh Poitier are yeah. so good oh, in the yeah. movie though no and the know? movie's fine and I mean, it rests it, on the performances yeah, and the movie's too. fine it's not it's 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 okay i mean there's there's nothing that wrong with it 
It also has Lon Chaney Jr. in it, so maybe yeah. that's part of the problem. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, it's amazing how a movie can be so genius yeah. about what its concept is of these two, this racist white guy and this black guy, both in the South, prisoners, escape, yeah. and they're chained together. And literally it's about, I mean, it's such a simple premise, but it's yeah. about them getting along. There's this great, it's probably the best moment in the movie, and a lot of people talk about it, is this moment where they're trying to jump on a train. Yeah. And they're still chained together. And I think it's... I can't remember if it's Poitier's on the train and Curtis is on... But it's this kind of question of... Is the other going to save the other right. and help them on the train? It's just like a genius... So, such a genius movie. Yeah. But yeah, it, it but it feels like it's trying too hard at the same time. You know what I mean? It, it feels like... That's something that Kramer had a problem with, I think, Well, sometimes. later on he may... And with Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which and I that's thought... That's a movie that, I have you, pro- more problems and with. And I think that. it's a... Yeah, I think it's fine enough. Um, and the whole part of my problem with the movie is part of what the movie's about, yeah, right? In a good way, about a certain awkwardness white liberalism has with the Dick Tracy and uh, not Dick Tracy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Spencer Tracy yes. and Hepburn characters. No, Warren Beatty was not in that. Yeah. Uh, Try like oh we you know we support the civil rights movement and we want all these changes to happen but what happens when your white daughter brings a black man into the house yeah and the whole and I'm just consumed my memory of that movie with Tracy just kind of walking around with his suit and not like quite like you know just you know going hmm we really are in a pickle here aren't we and just like. It's tough because I understand that the movie is about such an awkwardness. Yeah. But I never feel like it's as well written as it should be in terms of trying to really truly grapple with that. Yeah. And I feel like the movie has these invisible speed bumps that just keeps hitting and not quite getting over it and just get over it. And yeah. and I know part of it is just like our frustration now looking at that time. And saying, just get over it. Yeah. Who cares? And I yeah. get that there is a datedness to it that I, I drew really yeah. understand in a fundamental way, but I'm still frustrated by just get over yeah. it. You know what I mean? Well, and I feel at, like even yeah. at the time, could have been a version of that could have been said. And I feel like the movie is giving the Tracy and Hepburn characters a little more of an out yeah. to be that way than it should. I well, don't know. And like, I feel like the movie, and yeah, like you said, the movie is questioning the idea of white liberalism confronted with their liberalism in a direct way. I feel like that's a really interesting idea. I mean, it's the same thing. It's a really interesting idea. And I feel like something like Get it, Out takes it to yes. further extents yeah. in a horror realm, right. you know what I mean? And, but. But with this, yeah, it, it's too, like you said, it's just not, and I don't know, personally, I don't feel that, it, I, I actually think even the movie was either too early or too late to have been made, yeah. but either way, like honestly, I think it would have been better of a movie to be made in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I think the biggest problem with the movie actually is Tracy and Hepburn should not have been I don't think they're the right I guess fit the goal the is like, like to cast them in that is like oh they're these like you know titans of screen past and Americans love them so much yeah that it's about it is kind of some stunt casting in the sense it's like their generation that you know and love and have been in all these movies now they are confronted with yeah. these modern I issues I feel like a better version of that to have been done 
would have been like on Golden Pond era Henry Fonda, maybe. Yeah. Or even Paul Newman mm-hmm. in the 80s. Or Paul or Newman, like, his older brother. Sure. Who's confronted with these ideas yeah. about his his sister being with yeah. this black like, man. And, and I think that would be more interesting because the because I'm sorry, just personally, when I see Tracy and Hepburn, I don't know what their actual... I'm sure... I mean, they were Democrat, they were liberal, liberals, yeah. you know, and I'm sure they were all the for civil rights. But when I see people that were that old, this is awful of me, but I'm just like, oh, well, of course they would probably have a problem with yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. it, it feels like it would have, and I mean, the movie was ahead of its time, I guess, but not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because well, it's like, no, we should be at that I want to use this a little like, bit as a way to say, we want. I want to talk most about Portier in the midst of all this, yes, because it yeah. is his death yes, that we're memorializing. Yes. And I want to see more of these movies he, I forgot that he was in, I think, an adaption of uh, Raisin in the Sun. Yes, which was I've huge, seen that. I've seen um, that. Yeah. Which was a huge play, obviously. Yeah. It, it was all um, right. I wasn't that into it at the time, but I would probably like it more now. But Lilies of the Field, I've heard good things about that. Uh, the Bedford Incident. Oh, that's mm-hmm. that movie that was kind of similar to Dr. Strangelove. And yeah. uh, it had Richard Widmark in it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Failsafe. But the thing about yeah. Portier is... And I want to I, I want to use the word slightly tragic, but I think that underscores actually the progress that was going on in the midst of all this. All most of these movies that he's in insist upon his race. Yeah, he could not just be like a Paul Newman. He could not just be like a Redford. He could not just be like these guys and just be a character. All of these movies, even the great ones, are like he is a black man being in the midst. You know. And I think that underscores what a great actor he was. Um, we wouldn't get something like that until, like, Sneakers. Yeah, Maybe I mean, that's like, later, and yeah. he's older by right. that point, obviously, and he's with Redford right. in that. Uh, but I just think that's part of the, the... A certain sadness I have with looking at him as a figure yeah. is that he could not just be... Yeah, he, he It always was his blackness and his... And I, that's part of being black in Hollywood in any era. Yeah. Your race is inevitably going to play a part in your whole identity. But if you go back and watch kind of a lot of interviews he did and his Oscar uh, acceptance speech, the grace and the humility he had yeah. and the fact that he knew he had to carry that torch, he had to carry that flag, and to be as graceful and humble about it yeah. as possible speaks to what a great presence and star he was of that moment that he's like yeah i can't just disappear into my roles like later on a dustin hoffman could yeah, or all these right. other actors but that i everybody who sees me black or white is gonna my my racial identity is gonna have to be at the forefront of everything i do yeah and i'm gonna try to take these parts that in other hands would likely become stereotypical or cliche and try to transform them. I think that's ultimately why he was such an important and vital figure in the film culture of that time mm-hmm. and as he will endure to be. And especially all the black actors who come up and had a little bit more range and ability to not just, quote, be black, even though that's still the majority of the roles they have to play, but they can be beyond that. I think I've heard actors like Morgan Freeman or Denzel Washington talk about what an in- inspiration he was. Mm. And you think about, if you think about just take Freeman and Washington as two examples, there are a lot of roles they have played that have insisted upon their blackness. Yeah. But you think about Denzel Washington, he's in particular a little bit even later than Freeman. 
sure, he's had a lot of those roles, but he's also had a lot of roles, say what you will about Denzel or not, that allow him to be more than, quote, yeah. just black. He gets to be an actor yeah. and exist in a space that is transcends that to a certain extent. Yeah. And that would not have been possible in many ways if not for the Sidney Poitiers of the world yeah. who had those stepping stones that allowed black actors to be themselves right. in a way that past actors certainly couldn't have been. Yeah. So, And there was a really great anecdote that was circulating on Twitter as well of... Um, Really, for some time, wanted to see. Oh gosh! Uh, oh, also, I forgot an early role he was in was Blackboard Jungle. Right. Yeah. Um, the uh, Glenn Ford movie. He's really good in that. He's kind of plays a young student of his. Uh, what's the movie? Is it Edge of the City? Yeah, Edge of the City with Cassavetes. Was, yeah, the Cassavetes yeah. mm-hmm. that they work together and become friends. I think through making that movie, that was in '57. That yeah. came out. Um, that there was this anecdote that I think Portier had maybe written in one of his memoirs or had written somewhere about Cassavetes wanted him to be in some movie of his. I can't remember what it was. And that, like, Cassavetes, like... Would it have been Shadows, maybe, you think? Or that I would think have been... it might have been something slightly later, okay. I think. I can't, uh, I'm not sure. I can't quite remember. I just know that movie's very important for having a, a lot of big black characters in the movie. It may have it's been. It's really important. You know, I can't quite but, remember. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, and I'm that, not sure, um, but. And it should be said also that Poitier, he transitioned into being... He directed a lot of randomly big movies, like uh, Stir Crazy. Uh, he directed that? Yeah. I and, know that. Um, he also directed some Bill Cosby movies as well, yeah. which I know he was friends with him. Uh, let me see. Uh, actor. Yeah, if you go to his directing credits, some of the movies he directed was Buck and the Preacher, Warm December, Uptown Saturday Night, which I've heard is good. Yeah. Let's Do It Again. Uh, piece of the action, stir crazy, hanky panky, some Gene Wilder movies several yeah. here. Uh, fast forward and then Ghost Dad, uh, with Bill Cosby. Yeah. Uh, so he went on to direct like Cassavetes too, but Cassavetes wanted him to be in some movie. I don't remember which one it was, and that like at first Portier just kind of he's friends with Cassavetes, so he says, "Oh yeah, I'll be in that," and said that like. Cassavetes, there was just like this little pause, and Cassavetes was like seeing something below the line or whatever, and said, "Don't do it just because I want you to do it. Don't do artistic favors for people when you're if your heart's not totally in it." He was saying that like, yeah. "No, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. Don't do it." And that he found that to be a very valuable lesson, and he's glad that he even said that to him. And I don't yeah. even, again, I'm not sure what the movie was, but. Um, they the, just thinking about those two and, and taking the race out of it as far as two actors who were coming from that time period and like the kind of mid to late 50s who were transitioning into directing that um you know they were both wildly successful in their own ways and i mean in you know they did things, was able to yeah. direct a lot more movies i feel like they did things than, for their own respective fields that clearly independent cinema is not as important as uh you know civil rights and cinema and in general but the, i feel like they were both came out of that era of the the method mm-hmm. that were two of the more successful randomly of what they it seemed like they wanted to do yeah um because somebody like brando 
was just a crash and burn disaster of a human being and and came back in different ways but and then of course cliff died yeah a know, bad car wreck like, and, yeah, and, and, and james and, dean, and dean died yeah. and so like i feel like they it's interesting to think about them together if different they made it further along right. in their careers and, in a lot of ways yeah uh, and somebody like Paul Newman certainly, you know, he right. obviously had a wildly right. and popular, Portier, and, successful and, career. And Portier's uh, influence will live on more than any of these, oh, I yeah. think, because of that. Because of that, yeah, and, yeah. And again, like I said, uh, I don't want to use the word tragic, like I said, but th- there is a certain sadness I feel that he was never allowed to just be an actor. Right. He was always the yeah. big black actor. You yeah. know what I mean? And and I don't even want to touch this too deeply. Because I don't think it's our space as white people to be talking yeah. about this to an extent. But I know within the black community, he was a slightly more divisive figure. Divisive might be a strong word to put on it, but I guess there are there was a thought back then that oh, he's just he's just the quote safe black man yeah, that white people right. want to see. And so within the black community, there were more conversations about is he really that? And even the quote safe in quotes, black figure, is still in a moment in the movie like in the Heat of the Night, which is wildly yeah. controversial or like, oh, wow, look at what he's doing. And yeah. so even that, quote, safe figure, in quotes, um, was, for a lot of white America, still wildly dangerous and, and wildly scary. even somebody you know? like Jim Brown wasn't able to accomplish on that and level. And somebody like Jim Brown, like, he was know? much more interested in doing genre movies. Right, I mean, and, he was not yeah. trying to be this big, dramatic right actor in the same way but yeah that even somebody though that was in the the uh pop culture like jim brown never accomplished even something like that either he's still alive too he's pretty old yeah he is pretty old yeah i mean he was was playing professional football in the 1950s yeah so i mean that's so he's been around for a long long time so rest in peace Sidney portier again Mm -hmm. there's a lot of his movies i want to see that i have not also i know and specifically about In the Heat of the Night, which is the first thing I'm really thinking of with him, I would recommend you go and read Cam Austin Collins wrote the Criterion essay for that, and he's a brilliant black critic and says and talks about a lot of this stuff far better than I could. So yeah. I would seek that out. You can find that on Criterion's website. Um, someone we both have even more knowledge yeah. of and familiarity with, also a staggering loss in a variety of other ways, Peter Bogdanovich. Um let me look him up for a second. I'm not sure exactly how old he was. He's he, 82. He, okay, so he was uh, not as old as 48, but yeah, 82 years old. Um, I don't even know where to start with him because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, what for you does kind of Peter Bogdanovich, what did he represent to kind of the film culture? Your understanding. Well, of it. he rep. We've talked before, and I think this will transition nicely into the Landis idea when we talk about that here in a little bit. He's one of the first filmmakers that grew up on movies. Yeah, like how Landis grew up on TV and right. movies, and and he's somebody that saw everything. I Obsessively. mean, he engorged himself yeah. in cinema. I mean, I think he he said it, that he had. Uh, little note cards of like uh every he, he'd write a little review of every movie and he'd come to have like five thousand yeah yeah which is even more shocking in an era of the 30 the 40 i think he's born in the 30s in the 40s he's born in 39 in the 40s and 50s that he would have access to that many movies 
Because it's not like you could go down to the video store. You had to go see the movies. Yeah, you got to go see them movies. Yeah, that's I mean, he, he had to go to the movie theaters. And yeah. I mean, he lived in New York, I guess, right? Yeah, so, I think so, yeah. So th- there would have been a little more access to that. Same thing with Martin Scorsese yeah. as well. Um, but, and a lot of the, yeah, that whole class of filmmaker at that time had grown up on the movies. Uh, Spielberg as well and, and Lucas. Yeah. But, um, Coppola, not as much, but still. Well, still, he's of a generation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but that that Bogdanovich, more than anybody else of this group, was truly a a, a cinephile in ways that... So the only one that really holds a candle to him is Scorsese. Scorsese, yeah. yeah, But I feel like Bogdanovich represented, though, a certain, and in the 70s, and why people began to tire of him and not like him, was a confidence, an, an arrogance, even yeah. about his knowledge about cinema, um, and how he was the savior of it in so in so many ways, and bringing it back to its former glory as he would see it. He, I guess you know he's a very clear example to me of the American manifestation of what Truffaut and Godard were in France yes. in terms of critics turned filmmaker. Yes, yeah. I mean he he really you know early on staked his his little film education. On these extensive monographs and interviews he did of the biggest, you know, directors, Ford, Hawks, <laughs> which, um, yeah. <laughs> another thing is too, yeah. like whether before we even really knew who he was, he was a voice that was in the background of TCM. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, he was all when we were even starting to pay attention to movies, and you watch TCM, and you'd hear his voice before you even really knew who he was. Um, one of the funniest things of all time was the documentary he made about was directed by John Ford, I mm-hmm. think. And he's asking, let me, I'm just going to put some audio of this in here. 11, take one. Take one, more, more than one take, will I? Shoot. Mr. Ford, you made a picture called Three Bad Men, which was a large-scale Western, and you had a quite elaborate land rush in it. Mm-hmm. How did you shoot that? With a camera. Isn't the Sunshine's Bride kind of a little picture that you made for yourself? Would that yeah. fall in the same? Uh-huh. Mr. Ford, I've noticed that the uh, that your view of the West has become increasingly sad and melancholy over the years. Uh, I'm comparing, for instance, Wagon Master to the man who shot Liberty Balance. Have you been aware of that change no. in mood? No. Now that I pointed out, is there anything you'd like to say about it? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. Can I ask you what, what particular element about the Western appealed to you, from the beginning? I wouldn't know. Would you agree that the point of uh, Fort Apache was that uh, tradition, the tradition of the army, was more important than one individual? Cut. Cut. I mean, the yeah. fact that, like, he would just... You did a picture uh, called Three Bad Men, which, by the way, I've looked up, is, like, a random silent movie in the 20s that nobody knows or cares about. Yeah. yeah, like, so, yeah. I mean, I think what represents... And we'll come back to that in a second, but I think what represents him more than anything is that moment in Targets, um, which is important to mention, is part of oh, this podcast yes, it is. It is. constantly. Yeah. There's that moment where he's watching Criminal Code on TV, yeah. and it's like one of the first big Boris Karloff yeah. m- m- random movies. This would have been at well, actually, I guess this would have been after 
or right around the same time as Frankenstein. I'm not sure. Let me look this up here, but uh, which is a Howard Hawks film, and like, oh, oh Criminal Code Zone. Like, who cares about yeah. Criminal Code? You know, like, I mean, that reminds me of certain um, students who had uh, Scorsese at NYU said he would like walk in looking disheveled. You could tell he'd been up watching movies all night, and he'd have the. Uh, so yes, Criminal Code came out literally January of '31. So it would have been. He literally had the TV guy, and he'd be like, "He's like, um." All right, um, uh, each Don't I Die is going to be on tonight uh, at this station. Like, make sure to watch it. And he'd yeah. have the TV guide open and would just be telling them when to watch whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, but, the, but yeah. you know, even in Targets, like, that whole relationship that his he plays a character in yeah. the movie, Bogdanovich, has with Karloff, this love and admiration, that is just rot, ripped right from his own love and admiration of all these directors and filmmakers that he is. Uh, Hitchcock... Uh, Howard Hawks, um, Ford, um, biggest being Orson Welles. Orson Welles. We're yeah. gonna. I think we're gonna talk about that even yeah. a little later because that was a much more instrumental relationship. Yeah. That is expressed in the relationship in Targets in many yeah. ways. Is that love and admiration? Yeah. yeah, and I think that, and so that I think is what is so when people think of like Tarantino today. Yes. Being a ver- I mean Bogdanovich was I think was the, the first, first iteration yeah. of such a thing. Yeah. Um and. And sadly, I feel like, I mean, the three movies of his I've seen, because I've only seen three Bogdanovich movies, actually, believe mm-hmm. it or not. I haven't actually seen very many, but the three of his I've seen, I've seen more, but yeah. are Targets, Targets, The Last oh, Picture yeah. Show, and Paper, Paper Moon. Moon. And I think all of those are incredibly amazing movies yeah. in, in various ways. I, I think Targets is one of the most important genre movies ever made. I think that's... So, I mean, because I'm interested in the the Karloff stuff and the more Corman-esque aspects of the movie, but the stuff about the killer guy in the movie, I think, is some of the most chilling, haunting, disturbing. disturbing. Yeah. I, I mean, the only other movie I can think of that's like that is Taxi Driver on yeah. the level of being, and that's kind of a proto-Taxi Driver in many ways, and coming off of the Charles Whitman uh, yeah, shootings, shootings yeah. in the 60s and even... Uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald yeah. and that I think that's some stuff that even today you know, we when I watched it for the first time mm-hmm. was 2020 st- like it sent chills down my spine some of that stuff is so horrifying another thing too about it. that is just like that he also like some of these other new Hollywood filmmakers come up through the Corman yeah. uh, pipeline and that he's taking a Corman-esque movie and then making a genuine yeah. piece of art out of that yeah. he's not just going to make like a even something like Boxcar Bertha's Scorsese movie. That's that's a fairly conventional. I mean, it's got Scorsese's flashes in it, but it could be made by a variety of other people. But Targets is Bogdanovich very specifically taking that type of movie and yeah. doing something denser with it yeah. that needs to be done. And real quickly to mention Boxcar Bertha, which I haven't seen. Famously, John Cassavetes, who is a good friend of Scorsese's mentor, mentor in yeah. many ways, said to him. I'll, I'll amend exactly what he yeah. said. He's like, all right, you spent a year making a piece of crap. Don't do it again. Yeah. And Scorsese was like kind of shocked, but was like, oh, okay. And then yeah. I guess he never did that again. No, never you know? did, yeah. And, and so, yeah, Cass, I mean, Cassavetes, I mean, yeah. one of Patron the Saint, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, and then, you know, the last picture show, um, and you can speak That's a lot more about this, film. and you can speak a lot more about this because you've, you've read the book as well, and, I think that 
when I when I first saw that movie, I I, I kind of low key hated it. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was too far. I, I just was uncomfortable about the amount of sex in the movie. I found to be it's not all that explicit, especially for today, you know. But for then, it was a big deal. But specifically, the sexual relationships within this small town, and I felt like I was like it just was a little bit much for me. I was like, okay, I get it, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I still feel that way maybe slightly about that, but I feel like it obviously feeds into the desperation that the characters feel in the movie, and it's a part of that. But I think one of the greatest scenes in any movie, I think about it all the time, is the titular moment in the movie of the last picture show at the theater. Red River, I think it's the last Red River. And I remember the image of everybody getting up and walking out and the string going black, and, the and them and just the walking out, yeah. is one of the most just transcendent, impactful, heartbreaking moments in any movie I've ever seen. If this is the last... I mean, it sounds like, Corny said, that's the last picture show yeah. in these people's lives, almost, in a way. It's like, this is... The movies are over, almost, for them. And it's interesting how he can take... I mean, only so many people who really know cinema can do this, and Tarantino has done this multiple times. Like I said, with, I think, things in many movies, but especially in Inglourious Bastards that he's done, that he's said about movies and the power of movies, is that in that moment he's, you know, taking what he thinks about movies and making it real for people. Mm -hmm. Of the idea of, like, cultural... The idea that cultural devastation only truly happens when the movies are gone. Like and that the town is truly dead when they can't even keep and a the lot of uh, let me just add to that like, the whole idea know. is that almost all of especially of his seventies like his targets going through all of his seventies movies all of Bogdanovich's movies really insist upon the cinematic nature of them yeah. and again talking about Tarantino he was one of the first direct he was the proto Tarantino in terms of like I've seen all these movies and look how clever I am yeah. about it and there's a certain joy in that. There's also a certain like condescension in that towards the audience to an extent, um, even in his most successful movies. But what I think makes The Last Picture Show work is that he's clearly someone who loves and understands cinema in these very fundamental ways. But that's one of the movies that insists less upon that than others. Yeah. Uh, and I think, what, like you said, that ultimate point and the ultimate love letter to cinema that it is is that this town literally has nothing. This town has no outlet whatsoever to express any hopes any dreams and that this one single screen cinema was all that they had and now that's gone and the sadness and the tragedy of that and what I love is again all these other movies he makes really insist upon his love and the nature of cinema but that one is a little little less um, insistent but actually the most impactful because of that you know and his and that's a movie that I, when I first saw it, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit, actually. But I kind of it didn't stick in my memory. And I remember I've got it over there as part of that BBS yeah. set and certain other movies of that yoke, uh, especially Five Easy Pieces, which we've done a whole yeah. podcast on. Go listen to that. I really loved and is one of my favorite yeah. movies. Not not that long ago, I guess it would have been late 2019. I then went back and read the novel, The Last Picture Show, by Larry McMurtry. And as great as the movie is, and the movie is great, yeah. the book's even better, I think. And that's a, actually a very accurate yeah. book-to-movie adaptation. It's pretty. The movie is a pretty good reflection of the book. Yeah. It, it, it excises some things naturally, but that's just the nature of adaptation. Uh, brilliant book. And the book, in many ways, is talking about all the same stuff the movie is, about this sadness of small-town life. And the, 
uh, not sure exactly when the book came out. Uh, mid well, late sixties. I don't think I, it was well, that much longer. It was the paper. There's a paperback version of the book in Mad Men towards the end of that show. Is in like sixty seven, sixty eight, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, would have been when the novel would have been written, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I, I need to read that because it. Uh, and we just lost Larry McMurtry relatively yeah. recently mm-hmm. too, and he's someone. I think that's the only novel of his I've, I've yeah. read. Uh, but everything I've ever seen that this man touched is brilliant, or yeah. one of the best things I've ever seen, frankly. Yeah. Because in terms of endearment, uh, I've not read that book, but that movie I love. Yeah. Um. He adapted also Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of that. Um, and so I really wanted to take a bigger deep dive into Larry McMurtry. Yeah. Um, and even Lonesome Dove, I know people swear by. I haven't read or seen, but... Right. Uh, what is... When did the friggin' that book come out? I'm trying to find it. Um... Anyways, it was a yeah. it would have been a little bit before that, um, and the book is very in the movie too is a very subtle period piece. It's not like yeah. hitting you over the head about it, but it's actually kind of in the early fifties is when it's taking place. Um, They're late sixties, or, or I mean early sixties. What did I mean? No, I think it's actually a little earlier than you even think it, it is. is. Okay. I think because oh, well, Red River came out in the late forties, right? Yeah, so that, okay. and, so and I, I think like Jeff, the Jeff Bridges characters were going off to Korea, right? So, but yeah, anybody yeah. who would have been seeing that movie in seventy one would have been thinking about Vietnam, yeah, obviously. Right. Um, it's like mash in that yeah. way, as far as yeah, but yeah. better. But um, <laughs> the movie. I mean, yeah. we saw the movie again recently after I had uh, read that book, and it it was the same movie I remembered it to be, but it was just. Uh, even quite a bit better than I even remembered it to be. I mean, you know, the perform, and I think one of the best things about um, Bogdanovich's movies was the performances that he was able yeah. to get. Ben Johnson in that movie is amazing. I think yeah. he told Ben Johnson, he said, "I'm going to win you an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for this." And yeah, he, he did, did win. Yeah, uh, Cloris no, Leachman Johnson, is also yeah. amazing in the movie. No, I mean, when I think, and this is what I was going to say about the movie is that I think that the best. The other best yeah, scene in also the movie best supporting actress is scene. the last scene of the movie when Timothy Bottoms goes back to her house and they have a very interesting relationship because she's kind of the old, one of the older women in the town. Yeah, that everybody's forgotten about except him, and even he seems to kind of forget forget about her. But that what's interesting about that movie is that when they go off to Mexico and come back, Ben Johnson had died while they had been gone. Um that young boy in the town gets, I think, run over by a car or a truck or something. He dies. Uh, Everybody's moved away, and it's like there's literally, it feels like, I mean, because there are movies that try to do the whole desolation and emptiness. No, that movie. That movie truly makes you feel, you feel empty by the end. and like. But that scene at the end when he goes back to her house, and it feels like they are the only two people in that town, literally except for some other old people that live there. And it's just them sitting in the kitchen. Yeah. When when Cloris Leachman passed, that's the first thing I thought of. Not even Frau Brooker, not even her on Mary Tyler Moore, which I've been watching, you know, that she was on. That was the first thing I thought of, is just her in that movie. But she I think also recently so passed, too. Great. Uh, yeah. Last year. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that's one of those movies that the more I think about it, the better it gets. And 
Um, and I haven't seen What's Up Doc, but I know that movie was a big deal for kind of the screwball comedy. That's a very interesting movie to make. Well, no, I was going to say, he had variety. I mean, he could do a movie like um, Last Picture Show and then do this in color. I think he wanted to do... He loved doing that, but he's like, I want to do something very different now. And so he had lots of different modes. And What's Up, Doc, that's more what I'm thinking of when I'm talking about a Tarantino-esque thing in terms of Look at how clever I am. Look at these references that I'm making. And the movie's actually good. And yeah. Streisand in particular is really good. And one of his big leading men of this time period, obviously, was Ryan O'Neill, who's in What's Up, Doc, uh, Paper Moon, um, later on also Nickelodeon, which is a mm-hmm. movie I've also seen from him. Um, and I think in that movie in particular, he wanted uh, John Ritter. He really wanted to make John Ritter a star, I know. Nickelodeon? Yeah, he wanted to okay. make him the lead. And he has a smaller part in the movie. Because right. Reynolds is uh, also in that. Burt Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, and he worked with Burt Reynolds several times. Uh, I've not seen At Love Long Last. This was a um, musical mm-hmm. that has Reynolds, Sybil Shepard, Madeline Kahn uh, in it. And it's a period thing. And that was kind of a... As he you know, was going more through the 70s, Daisy Miller at Love Long Last, Nickelodeon, those all movies were flops. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that was around the time where he was, again, kind of a divisive figure in Hollywood. This is the first time I'm saying this. I should have said this earlier. There is an amazing podcast series that TCM did where it's Ben Mankiewicz kind of talking with him about his whole life and career yeah. uh, that I would recommend you go seek out because he's very open. Yeah about a lot of mistakes he thinks he's made, but also saying, but I think so-and-so did this to me and that to me. Um, and he was becoming a little bit of a reviled figure by the mid-'70s, as was, in general, the whole new Hollywood movement and even more and a more, little bit, and he but, typified yeah. it. And even just a tad before somebody like that would happen to Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. That was kind of starting to happen around the same time of people kind of after, you know, this would have been early happened, 70s basically success. after The Godfather Part Two you started to see when he was making Apocalypse Now, that was the true... And Apocalypse then, Win. And then, yeah. yeah, and then definitively with One from the Heart, that yeah. was where people were just sick of him. Yeah. But that with Bogdanovich, that seemed to happen even quicker. Well, he was um, someone who and, who cultivated his celebrity status even more so than Coppola. Coppola was like, I yeah. want to be a filmmaker, that's what I am. He yeah. was trying to be not exactly an actor, but like a sex symbol. Which is very bizarre. It, a it, filmmaker, maybe a way to describe to it. He was trying to be the cinematic equivalent of Gore Vidal in certain ways. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, know. that's yeah. yeah. And of someone who look at all that I know and how smart I am. And, and I know the Sybil Shepherd affair was a big tabloid thing too. Yeah, he was married to Polly Platt, yeah. and then had this affair with Sybil Shepherd, and then eventually that, and then they had a whole romance across most of the seventies, and then he. Ended up being with the Playboy model Dorothy Stratton, which ended in a disastrous, tragic affair mm-hmm. where uh, her ex-husband killed her, murdered her, and then committed suicide, mm-hmm. um, and that devastated him. I think that, and I think that, else, in many ways, know. kind of screwed up the rest of his life, and in a, in many ways that he never recovered from that. I don't think. Yeah, it seems. So. Uh, but I mean, again, what's up, Doc? I th- I think it's really good, and that that's kind of seen especially a revival in recent years, and more people have liked it. I don't. Insist upon its greatness like others. Streisand in the movie, though, is really good. Um, Paper Moon, 
I think is maybe his second best film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's and that's good. a movie that I really like, but then I saw Alice in the Cities and like yeah. a little less yeah. than I did, but it is still pretty great, Paper Moon is. And that was notable for, obviously, um, Tatum O'Neill. Tatum O'Neill. At is, that time was the youngest Oscar winner. Is she still? She might be, I okay. think, actually. Yeah. There's been other nominees that have been young, right. but I think she was, yeah. Uh, Daisy Miller, I've not yet watched, is literally staring me right here in the yeah. face. Uh, I got cheap... Uh, Tybrisa books recently. I, well, Maybe we'll, we'll try to. Yeah, we need to try to watch it. As I said, I've not seen it at Love Long Last at Long Last Love. Excuse me. Nickelodeon is good. Uh, actually, pretty good, I'd say. Um, I've not seen Saint Jack. I've heard that's kind of underrated. Yeah. That has Ben Gazzara in it. Yeah. Um, they all laughed. Has a huge cult following to it. I know that was the last performance that that Dorothy Stratton was in. Um, a lot of people say that's actually pretty good. I've not seen. I know that. that was a big flop and very reviled at the time as well. But and then Mask, I know was a big, that was kind of a comeback for him. Comeback, uh, yeah. Where that has Eric Stoltz and Cher in it. I know he he talks about this in the podcast. Um, oh, it's Ben Mankiewicz. There were a lot of uh, problems he had with the soundtrack of that movie. Yeah, I know, it was. Uh, he wanted it to be Springsteen, but it was uh, Bob Seger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they switched it out and right. he got real mad about that. Yeah. It says uh, the Springsteen songs were eventually restored in a director's cut of the movie. Um, and there were some more recent movies that I've heard good things about, like The Cat's Meow. Um, She's Funny That Way ended up being his last narrative uh, yeah. feature that he made, which I've heard is not the greatest movie, but has some good little moments and performances mm -hmm. in it. He also made Texasville, which... Is an adaption of a sequel, a book sequel of Last Picture Show, which I'll one day read the book and watch the movie. Um, but I feel like Last Picture Show yeah. is such a concise, well, brilliant the, thing. I don't yeah. know why you'd want to go back it's to that. Kind well, of the same thing with uh, there's a sequel to Terms of Endearment, a book and a movie. I don't think that James L. Brooks directed that. Yeah, but um, that is also a movie I, I know I'm aware of that. But yeah. Uh, but also, he was an actor who popped up in some things. I've been recently re-watching The Sopranos, mm -hmm. you know, loosely in the wake of Many Saints in Newark. I just want to start doing that again. And it's just one of the most like welcome surprises every once in a while. Oh, Peter Bogdanovich yeah. is now in The Sopranos. And his character in particular in that was interesting because it was like the most meta aspects of the show. It was, you know, he was Lorraine Bracco's therapist. Yeah. And so it's like therapy within therapy. And those scenes are fascinating because I've never seen this depicted in anything else of like therapists going to therapists and the chess matches that are happening yeah. and like the the complexes within complexes and the like, you know, that whole relationship was yeah. fascinating within the show. He even directed an episode that's actually I'll be coming up on soon. I'm in the middle of the fifth season right now. Written by Matthew Weiner. That was he actually joined in season five of called Sentimental Education. Uh so, well, the last thing I really want to end on when thinking about Bogdanovich was his relationship to Orson Welles, yeah. um, which has been widely talked about and written about in not only recent days, but uh, for a long, long time. A lot of people see a lot of parallels between Welles' own career and Bogdanovich's own career as mm -hmm. well, and that he almost become Welles over the course of his career. Um, he, you know, he was a very formative mentor to... Uh, Bogdanovich Wells was 
And that was at a time where Wells had fallen out of favor yeah. in the 60s. And that he's like, no, Wells is literally like maybe the greatest filmmaker who's ever lived and really wanted to study under him and become his friend and was even allowed him to stay in his home for a period of time where Wells was almost destitute. Yeah. Um, and it was very instrumental in keeping Wells's career alive. And he yeah. was instrumental in the initial production of The Other Side of the Wind. And... Uh, very movingly, I think this this story had been written about and had been talked about some time before this, but it had been re re remembered in the last several mm-hmm. days. Was that there was a particular dinner that they were in the midst of having that, that Wells almost grabbed Bogdanovich and said, "If I die or something happens, you need to make sure this movie is finished." And that at the moment, Bogdanovich kind of laughed and said, "That's kind of a random amount of pressure you're putting on me, Orson, to, to do yeah. that." Um, and that he indeed was instrumental in all these years later, the other side of the wind formally being finished and going out into the world. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Bogdanovich can stand on his own terms, but I think in particular his relationship to Wales and his love and admiration for Wales, even in the midst when they fought, fell out yeah. and had not the best relationship, that is the summation of who Bogdanovich is and represented ultimately over the course of the film yeah. culture. You know, yeah, and I, I think that's tragic. Uh, tragic that what I've heard of how Wells ended up kind of treating him, and 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 not that it wasn't a mutual, I'm sure, issue. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that's really important, and I mean, I I, I think we owe everything of the other side of the wind, which is a really amazing mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, and I think that kind of People kind of don't get that. I mean, some people, agree, a lot of people did agree, but I know there was some people like, I don't know, this is kind of, a, I thought it was really good. Yeah, but, I agree. Um, I know that was kind of an event when it came out that it was watched. And also, and, there's and, a really amazing documentary that is um, not as good as the movie, but I'd say is really, really good um, about the whole production of that and goes into talking a little bit more about the specifics of Bogdanovich and Wells' relationship. Um and so I'd recommend watching that yeah. as well. It's on Netflix uh, also. So yeah. rest in peace both to Sidney Poitier and mm-hmm. Peter Bogdanovich. I mean, one after the other there. And then also, you know, uh, Betty White had mm-hmm. passed, and that meant a great deal to a great many people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some yeah. some of the biggest, you know, most fundamental people in our culture that had not, uh, Poitier especially, he's never going to be forgotten. He's always going to be an yeah. important figure. But Bogdanovich also, you know, two titans of film culture, now may they rest in peace yeah so now into the subject for today into the night from 1985 levi give us the deets on into the night well can i do my can i do my uh belated uh segue oh yes yes. please do so the last thing that i saw bogdanovich it's even better now that it's just like so transparent yeah (laughs) the last time we had seen bogdanovich in anything that i recall was he had a cameo in it chapter two as a film director oh yeah and i remember when that happened i was like what which is so weird yeah this movie also has cameos from film directors there you go segway baby (laughs) all right into the night into the night into the night as we'll, as we'll hear later. It's a 1985 American black comedy thriller. I don't know if it's a black comedy exactly. I mean, there's things about it that are dark, yeah. but okay. Written by John Landis, starring Jeff Goldblum and Michelle Pfeiffer. Has many cameo appearances. 
It doesn't say here what the definitive... I can just summarize it. Basically, there's this, like, aerospace engineer and depressed insomniac, Ed Oaken, played by Jeff Goldblum, who's, like, his uh, wife is cheating on him. He's just kind of... It's just, just very like, listless. Yeah, very, I mean, like very, outwardly successful, but clearly yeah. unhappy with yeah. the, the listlessness of just his life. Just in the middle of the night, when he can't sleep, decides he's going to fly somewhere. So he goes to the airport. And, and all of a sudden... Ensues. Yeah. And then Michelle Pfeiffer falls on his is car. running away from these, like, Arab gunmen. Yeah. And falls on his car. And then the rest is showbiz history. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, uh, and they, he gets dragged into this whole really big, like, conspiracy caper about these, like, stones from from the Middle East. Yeah. Um, that different people have in Hollywood or something. And he basically is driving her around and gets caught up into all these different crazy events. Yeah. So, uh, it stars everyone, uh, <laughs> director-wise. Um, but anyway, so, all right, Jeff Goldblum is Ed Oaken. We've talked about Jeff Goldblum in the past. Obviously, our first podcast um, was Jurassic Park. Another one was um, uh, Life Aquatic. Oh yeah. So he we've talked. I guess he's our record holder right yeah. now. Well, mm-hmm. he's been he's one of those figures like a Sam Jackson that yeah. Over the course of a lot of years has just been involved in yeah. so many things. I mean, you're going to so, return to him. Mm-hmm. Yes. What do you think he adds to this role? I think he's a really good person for this role because he he represents a sort of uh milk toast especially at this point in his career I feel like as he went on he got more outsized and quirky yeah. and weird but at this by the way that video interview that's on this blu-ray yeah. is him at his wackiest I yeah. mean he's just like almost replaying the role or yeah, something right, it's right. like he's like oh yes and like talk, and I mean it, <laughs> go watch that it's on YouTube yeah. it's like an interview about this movie that was done only a few years ago it's interesting but this, but, for this Blu-ray but, but I think he's YouTube, really yeah. good I mean because originally it was going to be like Jack Nicholson and I love Jack Nicholson I oh, mean he's one love, of my favorite actors but I don't see him in this movie I think that well, and also a, similarly there's an interview with John Landis yeah who talks about the making of this and right. everything and that um, initially Nicholson was had read it and he tells this whole story you go watch it yeah about driving up to his home in like Colorado and said he had just seen The Shining and it was in the middle of a snowstorm right. and he was like and he opened like, the door and screamed hey Johnny yeah, like, and yeah. he was like you son of a bitch yeah. or whatever yeah but yeah and then he explained to him why he wasn't going to be in the movie like, very like, nicely but it's why also did like, you why did, bring me all the yeah. way up here for that yeah and then he also but, said that Gene Hackman yeah I, which that would have been yeah because originally I, know, I guess they wanted odd. an older actor for it I, I guess what they're I guess they were thinking like Night Moves era, yeah. Gene Hackman. Even that, movie, I don't know. I don't, yeah. Gene Hackman feels a little too, and I say to somebody who loves and adores Gene Hackman, a little too rough and gruff for a part yeah. like this. I mean, yeah. not to say he couldn't. I mean, he's yeah. done something like the Conversation, where that's a different side of it. But like this, I no, yeah. I think Goldblum is perfect for yeah. this movie. I mean, he's almost designed as a presence to be in a movie like yeah. this because he's handsome, but he's also quirky. He's offbeat. Um, he looks like a guy who's an insomniac and is having trouble sleeping and is just going out looking for a sense of danger or trouble. Yeah. And that's what he finds. Yeah. Like, he's kind of perfect. It's kind of like Griffin Dunn in After Hours, yeah. which came out the same year. It's actually interesting. Those two movies are pretty similar to each other. I, I prefer this one actually yeah. to After Hours, which a lot of people would literally be. Yeah, because After Hours has off. a huge. Yeah. 
love and yeah. cult fandom. And I like it. This has yeah. one, yeah. but not nearly as big as well, that one Well, and even, and even Something Wild, which I think is the best out of those three, yeah. and I love. I think that I think that and that Jeff Daniels is perfect for that as well. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel like every movie got that right, right. person yeah. um, for the movie. But yeah, I think he. I think the movie wouldn't be the movie without him at all. I mean, I he, agree. he. It's his movie. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer also as Diana, the uh, uh, the beautiful damsel, femme fatale. Yes. Um, as he would. This say, would have but, been, I guess, yeah. one of her first roles after Scarface. Yeah, which would have been one of her first, uh, probably her big coming out movie. Um, I think she's really quite good in Scarface, which is a movie that isn't very good. Yeah. So, her and this, I mean, she's great. I mean, she's great. She's everything. one of the most I beautiful mean, women who's yeah. ever walked the face of the earth, maybe. Yeah. I mean, in particular in the 80s. And, yeah. But she's more than just a beautiful face. She's yeah. a really good actor. I mean, yeah. something like, I, this is actually a movie that a lot of people love. I'm not overly in love with. Married to the Mob. Yeah. Jonathan Demi. A good enough movie. She is really, really good in that. Um, and she is, and Dean Stockwell actually is really good in yeah. that too. But she um, is, I think, really good in this and has this sense of lovable, uh, you know, lovable femme fatale and this mystery about her, but ultimately a vulnerability as well. I mean, she's the perfect package for exactly what that role needs. Yes, yeah, right. Um <laughs> Dan Aykroyd has her. Your boy, Dan Aykroyd. I mean, I don't want to talk too long about this. We've kind of talked about this in the past. To say I hate Dan Aykroyd would make it sound... Like you even think like, about him or care yeah, about him. Yeah, because now I hate Chevy Chase. Yeah. That is a definite yeah. thing. I feel like to hate Dan Aykroyd would have to be to admit that I wouldn't even like a movie like... Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers, which I do. Uh... He's just a presence, though, that I feel like, you know, I, I feel like among that group of early SNL yeah. folks, you have somebody like, I feel like the ones who were really successful come out of like Gilda Radner or uh, Bill Murray or John Belushi, you know, some of those early. But people like Chase and Aykroyd, I'm just like, I'm mystified by. I don't. I think for me, with, with both of know, them, and they have different yeah. versions of this, there is this like, unnecessarily smug confidence that yeah. both of them have in different ways. Chase is even worse than Aykroyd's, but um, that I'm just really mystified by. And Aykroyd's presence in this is pretty minimal. It's actually not that big of a role. But, of course, we mentioned Blues Brothers. He had already worked with Landis, so they had a yeah, prior relationship, right. obviously. With yeah, them. and so... He just kind of plays his whatever be buddy, friend, He plays you know. himself in many ways, yeah. you know, a useless <laughs> a-hole, you know. Bruce McGill is Charlie. Uh, now, Bruce McGill had also... He's been in a lot of different things. He was also in, um, notably before this, had been in... Uh, I'm trying to think of what it is. Uh, Animal House. Yeah. Um... Also was in a lot of Michael Mann movies like Collateral. That's one, usually one of the things. Everybody I think loves of, to watch his scene in Inside the Insider of his courtroom scene. Okay. If you've seen no, that, where I he just like blesses out a guy, just oh, like really? outright out just destroys up. him. Yeah. Yeah, but and also in Ali. Um but yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. In this movie he plays the uh <laughs> Elvis impersonator brother yeah. of uh of Michelle Pfeiffer in yeah. the movie. Mm -hmm. Um he had also been in uh, The Hand, that Oliver Stone horror movie. Yeah. I think he was the lead of that. No, no, no. Michael Caine was what he. That's interesting. But in uh, the Ballad of uh, Gregorio Cortez, I've heard of that. Silkwood, obviously, that's a big movie around that time. Yeah. But uh, Wildcats, 
No Mercy in Club Paradise on 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking. That's my last Boy Scout cousin. My cousin Vinny and Cliffhanger or Cliffhanger, A Perfect World. A lot of different rant. That movie's always made me laugh. The poster for that. Yeah, what's uh, his character name? D Day in Animal House. Yeah, D Day. Yeah, he's the guy that rides a motorcycle yeah. around. Yeah, but he's really funny in this. He's just like any only. He's in got a like a scene, scene that really yeah, I remember. That's him like yeah. he's just freaking out and he's dressed up as Elvis yeah. and it's just like. <laughs> yeah, and like on his uh, car that they use in part of the movie, it's like the King Lives yeah. or whatever. And it's just like oh I'm my sure God. Grandma, which is funny because uh, grandmother had a crush on. If she would have seen this movie, yeah, like, oh, that's and my it's interesting too that this is only eight years after the death of Elvis, right. too. So this is like Already an early cult. Elvis yeah, cult. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of interesting. David Bowie is Colin Morris. I feel like he's one of the most memorable things in the movie. He's only in two scenes, but anywhere yeah. David Bowie shows up i feel like he's kind of the thing you know so i mean what does there say about david bowie maybe they're like i think in terms of pure artistry and talent maybe the greatest pop star to ever live in terms of yeah yeah i agree in that space of what a pop star is i mean i and he was a really good actor too i mean he's he's not in this a whole lot but he's very memorably in it i feel like and i think he actually was you know shorter yeah, in real life, than he was in the movie, and they kind of had to like make it look apple a little, box. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that in a moment when that happens. But yeah, this is interesting. This has been around the time he'd been in certain movies, like uh, the Man Who Fell to Earth in the seventies, late seventies, I guess that was the yeah. Nicholas Roeg film he had been in. I know a big movie, uh, Merry Christmas, or is it Happy Christmas, Mister Lawrence, or Merry Christmas, Mister yeah, Lawrence? Yeah, I think yeah, um, them. from that one really big Japanese filmmaker. I have to look that up. I'll do but, it right here. Uh, who's made a lot of movies, Death by Hanging, and other stuff that are really big I always want to see but uh, but yeah it's interesting though to see him at Merry this Christmas time. Mr. Lawrence yeah. is the name of it um, directed it. by uh, Nagasi Oshima yeah yeah but he I know he's made a lot of big movies as well but um, in, in Japan um, but yeah I think he's really good in this he's only he's really creepy yeah and weird and I mean like they said in the uh, like Landis said there's that uh, scene um. Well, all the scenes of him in the movie where he's like got his suits on, he's saying that his wife Deborah Nadulman was trying to suit him, you know, uh, costume him, and said he was like everything he was in, he looked good, yeah. and they were trying to make him look yeah. bad and creepier, and he's just like, no, he's just he's David Bowie, right. you know, and he's gonna look good in anything, but yeah. yeah. Richard Farnsworth is Jack Caper. Well, real quick, oh, let me well, just, go ahead. just yeah. about Bowie yes, and some ahead. other movies he of course, was in. You talk about Bowie still. Yeah. Last Temptation of Christ, he obviously of course, played Pontius yeah. Pilate One in that. One of the weirdest random appearances in a movie. I, I mean, his greatest, most memorable role ever. Fire Walk With Me. Of course. Twin yeah. Peaks, Philip Jeffries. Uh, I always forget he plays himself in Zoolander yeah. in like a scene yeah. uh, memorably. Uh, I don't think I remember hearing that he actually's got some voices on SpongeBob too. It says Emperor Maltazard and Lord Royal Highness uh, in 2007. Yeah, voice from SpongeBob. I do remember that. Yeah, but yeah, so love yeah. David Bowie. And again, he's the scene in particular. We'll talk about it where he's kind of like wrestling around and what is it like a hotel room? Yeah. And you got like was it Abbott Costello yeah. Frankenstein's on yeah. TV? That is a really just well done shot scene it's and very that's dark really yeah, it's it. one of the most well lit random scenes in a movie I've ever yeah. seen yeah. Um, so yeah Richard Farnsworth is Jack Caper um, I mean Farnsworth uh, 
He's been in a lot of stuff. I think it's big, the, real. You know, the movie I first associate him with is the Straight Story, which is his um, is a very later film from yeah. him, but like the ultimate old man yeah. role and movie and performance. Yeah. Also, remember him in Havana. Randomly, yeah. he has I think the thing that, I but... first think of him in randomly and remember him other than this and the Straight Story's Misery. Oh, he's in. Yeah, he's like yeah. the sheriff in that. I think that's the first thing I ever would have seen him in. Do you ever remember that time that the that Misery played on the Weather Channel? No, I that was in I... like the two thousands because okay. I guess because it was a snow movie. I don't know, like a blizzard was going. <laughs> the one that'll always take <laughs> yeah. the cake for me is Titanic being on CMT. Yeah, country music yeah. television. I just think it's also hilarious. Beetlejuice yeah. has also been on CMT. Also, yeah. Well, even that, I guess there's a certain rustic pastoralism to that movie that <laughs> would really, fit but, more. Okay, but, but Titanic. Ti- no, no, that's dumb. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like specifically the fact that the Weather Channel yeah. ever played a movie. You're thinking, all right, maybe Twister. Or like The Perfect Storm, yeah. but Misery is a little bit of a stretch, <laughs> but whatever. I mean, like Dagum Airport would make more sense than that. Yeah. But yeah, he's in the movie. Is like I'm going to forget who some of these characters are, I'll admit, but I do remember that he's like the... Uh, the basically Michelle Pfeiffer is his mistress and he's this really rich guy who wants the the jewels or yeah. stones or whatever. Uh and he's only in like one scene. Vera Miles is Joan Caper, that's his wife in the yeah. movie. She's been in a lot of different stuff. Psycho is yeah. the biggest thing. She was uh Lila Crane in that also in Psycho Two Tarzan's Hidden Jungle, The Searchers. That's another big thing I'd forgotten about yeah. she was in. Uh, but yeah, she was in a lot of stuff. Uh, the Wrong Man, another mm-hmm. Hitchcock movie. Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. Um, so yeah, it seems like she was in a lot of uh, John Ford and Alfred Hitchcock movies. Yeah. So, Ford, Lockdown Hitch was probably a big fan. Hitchcock. Ford, Hitch. Yeah. Irene Pappas uh, as a uh, Shaheen Pervisi. Isn't she the woman in the movie that's the uh Yeah the uh Arab mm-hmm. uh, I think so like or Iranian uh I don't remember what well, exactly she well, is. Well she's like but, the Iranian woman yeah. that's like the, the, the leader of the group yeah. or whatever like the gangsters so, basically. Yeah. yeah, she's only in like a few scenes. Kug Gerliger is a federal agent. <laughs> he's randomly been in a lot of stuff. I randomly think of him of he's the guy that sells Sharon Tate to it. Tessa Ubervilles in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, he's that guy yeah. in the in the bookstore randomly. Oh, right. But right. he's been in a lot of random stuff. Uh, Return of the Living Dead in the eighties. Uh, he was on a lot of. He was in the Virginian. He was in a okay. lot of those like TV, Western Westerns, TV shows. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street too. I remember that. That's actually kind of a good movie. A lot of people say that, but. Um, Tangerine, more recently, also Sean Last Baker. Picture Show. Okay. I did forget. I did remember he was in that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, John McQueen's McHugh. Yeah, John McQueen, screw you. <laughs> Why did I say John McQueen? John John McQueen, <laughs> John Wayne, screw you. Yeah, Catherine Harold. Because John McQueen loved John right. Wayne. Yeah, yeah, really. Or so no, actually, considers himself more of a Roy Rogers yeah. guy. Yeah. Catherine Harold uh, as Christy. Uh, I think she might be that woman in the movie that gets killed on the drowned, beach. Yeah, maybe. I remember that scene a lot too. Uh, yeah, brutal scene. Yeah, you know? she's in that movie, the uh, the hunter with Steve McQueen, Modern Romance. Mm-hmm. 
The pursuit of D.B. Cooper. Don't forget they made that movie. Wow, it's all connected yeah. today. Yes, Giorgio. With, uh, is that, uh... It almost looks like Dom DeLuise. That's what but... I was thinking, but I think it's Eddie Albert, maybe. Okay. And Raw Deal, that, uh, remake of that noir movie. Isn't yeah. that what that is? Isn't that a remake of that? I'm pretty sure. There is a, a noir called Raw Deal. Yeah, I'm not I, sure I, I've it. always assumed that was a remake. Uh... I'm not seeing anything in, here on that about that. It was a location in North Carolina, Wilmington, it says. Huh. Part of yeah, Castle Hain. Yeah. Yeah. I always assumed that was a remake of that movie. Maybe it's not. Yeah, maybe not. Okay. Uh, Stacey Pickering is Ellen Oaken. I haven't ever... She doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, but... Yeah. Um, Art Evans is Jimmy. I don't remember him in the movie. John Hostetter is aerospace engineer, some guy in the movie. All right, let's go through these quickly. we got a lot of cameo appearances yeah. from different directors. These are all in... Uh, alphabetical order. So Jack Arnold is the man with the dog in the elevator. He I always remember him being the director of uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Whit Bi- another Whit Bissell. Film. Oh, B movies. Yeah. yeah. Also, it came from outer space. They name here Rick Baker as a drug dealer. In the Obviously, movie. he was a did you know legendary makeup designer. Did American Werewolf in London, which was one yeah. of uh, of course, Landis is yeah. the biggest movies. Paul Bartel, who we've talked about here and there, of course, director of Eating Raul. You know, when and I Death Race, I think 2000. the first time I ever really recognized Paul Bartel was his role in Amazon Women on yeah, the Moon. Yeah, the end of the movie, and yeah. I remember like that guy looks weird. Yeah, uh, and then went on to we watched Eating Raul. Yeah, love that. I mean, yeah. that's awesome movie. Yeah, and then he's the Beverly Wilshire Hotel doorman. He's in this one. He's in a scene pretty. Obviously, David Cronenberg, of course, uh, David Cronenberg, uh, director <laughs> of Shivers and Rabid, uh, and obviously Videodrome, yeah, Crash. I think we've talked about Cronenberg in passing here or there. He's a director that I've actually Scanners. really mm-hmm. grown to like more and more uh, over time, yeah. uh, and. He was making some really fascinating movies around this time, too, uh, yeah. as well. So. Yeah, I'm a little more of a Cronenberg agnostic, but I like him okay, I guess. But Jonathan Demme as, uh, is that that guy the, in The Federal Agent with the Gun. He's got the glasses on. Of course, director of uh, the biggest thing, obviously, is Silence of the Lambs. You something said something wild, wild earlier, yeah. Um, you had mentioned Married to the Mob. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a good, really good director. Yeah, yeah. love Jonathan Demme. Oh, and of course, uh, Stop Making Sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the big things. Richard Franklin, uh, director of Road Games, uh, which I've always wanted to see. That's always been one of the most really interesting ideas for a movie. It was Stacey Keach, Jimmy Lee Curtis. Anyway, he's an aerospace engineer in the cafeteria at some point. I don't okay. know. But, yeah. Carl Gottlieb uh, is also another federal agent. Of course, wrote Jaws. Co-wrote, co-wrote Jaws. Yeah, famous for that. People. Wrote a lot of random different things. He also, uh, uh, he was involved also in Amazon right. Women on the Moon. He was one of the directors in also. that. Amy Heckerling as the, uh, that waitress in that one scene in the movie, director of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. We it's recently really watched good. that. Really good movie. Jim Henson, we had said, yeah, uh, he's in the movie randomly. It what says, does it say? Yeah, actually, yeah. says man on the phone talking to Bernie. There's that one scene he's got on like a... Uh, like a tux. Like a tuxedo. Yeah. yeah. I think you were thinking of maybe Rick Baker as a drug dealer, maybe... Maybe, being yeah. Pen- you were thinking of maybe, I don't know. Colin Higgins, writer of uh, Harold and Maude, and also directed Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. There's an actor in the hostage film that's being made, oh, I guess. Oh, okay. Lawrence Kasdan, police detective, interrogator. I, mean, you I remember, remember him, in that yeah. scene in the movie where they're interrogating that bud guy. 
director of Body Heat, of course, and uh, and one of the writers of Empire Strikes Back. Writers of Empire Strikes Back, kind of create one of the you know main screenwriters of uh, Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. Uh, director of The Big Chill, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Jonathan Lynn, uh, director of Clue, because mm-hmm. we can't forget. Yep. Co-writer of Yes. Which Minister. remember what we said? Landis was a producer right. of and, and like and, conceived yeah. of in many ways. Right. Yeah. Um. He's the tailor who fits the Savak agent. So he's that guy in the movie that's the tailor. Yeah, I remember. Paul Mazursky, he's that Bud Herman guy, that guy that owns that beach house. Also a drug dealer, but he's a director, made Bob and Carol and Ted Nallis and an unmarried woman. Um, Carl Perkins, rockabilly musician, obviously, is that one. He's a, He has one of the more memorable people in the movie. He's like cussing and going on. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, General Petrie, director of Raising the Sun, mm-hmm. um, as the director of that hostage film. Didi Pfeiffer, uh, sister of Michelle Pfeiffer, as the hooker. Whatever that means, I guess. Yeah. Waldo Salt, screenwriter of uh, Midnight Cowboy and Coming Home, both, uh, I guess, uh, John Voight-related movies. Derelict, who informs Ed his car having been towed. <laughs> Derelict. Yeah. Don Siegel, I always forget he's in this, um... Director, of course, of many things. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Dirty Harry, uh, Escape from Alcatraz. He's the man caught with a girl in the hotel bathroom. Sure. Okay. Jake Steinfeld is Larry. Uh, he was a business guy, I guess, sort of. Jake Cap- Capers, bodyguard. Roger Vadim. I think he was kind of a, yeah, he's a French screenwriter and filmmaker. Made uh, and God created woman and Barbarella. Yeah, um, he's that like guy, he's that French guy that's the kidnapper about halfway through the movie, sort of. Mm-hmm. And then Lou Marini, a saxophonist, yeah. in the airport crowd. A lot of people. Yeah. Well, uh, and a lot of the reviews we read for this were almost annoyed. It was like, yeah. oh, oh, they got all these big cameos. What, it's like they what were role does talk- that have? It was kind of like, talking about the, the way that people talk. I think rightfully now about these Adam Sandler movies, where it's like they just get, they just all go hang out. And make yeah. a movie. Yeah. It seemed like that's kind of like what this was in a way too, but better, obviously. But of like, oh, let's all just hang out together in Hollywood and make all make a movie and have all my friends in it. Yeah, right. it's kind of a similar thing. Yeah. But, yeah. So let's, this is we can use this as a chance, I guess, to first off talk about John Landis, uh, who we did Which a little we bit. Did, yeah, a little so bit last we, week. We don't have to overdo it. With um, that, but. as we said about kind of Bogdanovich was an even ver- earlier version of this, but Landis. No, specifically, it's always easy to remember for me. He was born in 1950. Yeah. He was one of the you know generations raised on television. Uh, and his films are very televisuals, a mm-hmm. term I remember using. I wrote a paper on him in college that was about televisual cinema of John Landis. It's very, you know, one of his, some of his first movies take schlock out of this. Uh, something like Kentucky Fried Movie was an earlier version of what Amazon Winter on the Moon, I think, got right um, mm-hmm. a little bit later on, a later version of it. And that was written by the ZAZ crowd, yeah. the guys, Zucker and you know, Abrams. Um, and his movies are very concerned with, like, you know, you know, it should be said, he's mostly made comedy films, especially, you know, yeah. his height from the late 70s through the 80s. Um, it really the guiding major force of American film comedy in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, is very consumed with this manic chase energy 
Um, you think of like some of the scenes in Blues Brothers. I mean, there's yeah. got a lot of these chase scenes in them. Um, and the music in the Blues Brothers. Nah, 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 nah. And nah, 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 another thing is too, music plays down. a big yeah. role in a lot of yeah. his movies too. Yeah. I mean, whether it be, uh, you know, the Blues Brothers, obviously, the BB King music in this, um, and even its ironic uses or juxtapositions in, say, something like an American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Um, which is not a comedy film, it no. should be said. It is a some people horror film. think it is. And but... he also objects to that yeah. classification. Landis, again, not to the extent of like... Oh, he objects to it being a more of a comedy than people yeah, say. He don't, I, I wasn't he, aware of that. Yeah, well, he's, he's like, right. no, it's a horror movie. It's not a comedy yeah. or whatever. Right. Um, and... He, I think, represents, in this movie especially to me, represents a very exciting, contemporary 80s film comedy of what that the, what that could be in terms of there's a, there's a hint or dose of danger to it. Yeah. Uh, it plays as much sometimes like a thriller as it does a comedy, even though it is quite funny. Um, and again, he works really well with stars. I mean, you know, another one of the most iconic things he ever did was, of course, Thriller, the Michael Jackson video. And he's probably is going to be known for that more than anything yeah, else he yeah. does as the director of that. Right. Um, what about John Landis to you makes him stick out in terms of this particular era of American filmmaker? Well, I think he adds an energy that is palpable to comedies and 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 horror movies too. I mean, the few that he has made, I think that. Uh, I mean, I think that and I say this freely always. An American Werewolf in London is the scariest movie I've ever seen, so it's always interesting to me that people think it's funny. I mean, there are certain things that are intended to be funny. I in think the that movie. just adds to the horror right, of the movie yeah. more than anything. But, the comedy, um, yeah, that's in it. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, but I think that something like Animal House and Blues Brothers clearly uh, operate in a sense of oh, nobody's ever put this amount of energy into a comedy before. Um, obviously we had seen certain things like that and he's kind of a proponent of that 60s comedy you know like something like it's a mad 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 world in a certain sense or even like what Bogdanovich would do I haven't even seen it but like I said with what's up doc certain things like that but I don't know I guess it's just a sense of uh, of wildness and like I said connected to TV I think that's a big part of his movies and, and Joe Dante um also would do similar things to this. Always stayed more in the horror realm than comedy, but uh, they both, I think, added their sense of their love of, for lack of a better term, the schlock, and uh, trying to make that something that people wanted to see again in the 80s that they tried to legitimize in a way. Um, And also to legitimize the comedy, I think, especially the raunchy, kind of stupid comedy yeah uh that i think is still very intelligent in a certain sense with a movie like animal house or blues brothers i guess we would be remiss to be talking about john landis and not at the very least mention the very tragic events of the production of the twilight zone movie which Mm -hmm. he was involved in um which took the lives of uh, several people including the star vic morrow but also um other people that were involved in as well yeah Mm -hmm. children um and that kind of casts this unintentional shadow over the some of the chase scenes in, say, Blues Brothers of how dangerous they feel yeah. and how, like, maybe cutting corners a lot of this yeah. is as far as the production of them. Um, this was his first movie he made after the, yeah. all that and the court 
proceedings that happened as a result of that, um, where he was largely found unresponsible, but the the you know the reputation yeah. that came from that really damaged for him really for the rest of his life and career. Um, this was his first movie he made right after all that, and it was um, it was not a box office success. And I you can read in a lot of the reviews a sense of contempt that is still being thrown his way at yeah. that. And regardless of whether he was responsible for that or not, at least not directly, um, that obviously did you know cast a shadow over the rest of his career. Yeah, uh, and even this movie, which again is trying for him to turn a page and move away from that. Um, it was not as critically or commercially successful yeah. as a result. But uh, Also, this lands in squarely into... We've already talked about it a little bit, and we've talked about some of these movies in the past. Anyways, the whole 80s yuppie and trouble film. Um, you mentioned earlier, you know, Something Wild, I think, is really the apex yeah. of this kind of a thing. Also, Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. to an extent. Um, and also certainly after hours, which yeah. as we've said, has a huge cult love and appreciation for it. Where exactly for you does into the night fit into that continuum as far as what maybe makes it different or a good version? Well, of that I think form? that Goldblum summed this up really well in his interview about the movie that he saw that as he saw the Ed Oaken character as somebody that was born in the era of Kennedy and the promise of the space age. Um, That's why maybe he became an aerospace right, engineer. And that yeah. after the death of Kennedy, both Kennedys in the 70s and everything that happened, now living in the age of Reagan, which is supposed to be a very positive, you know, presidency mm-hmm. and decade, that he's so burnt out by the promise of that era that I feel like that represents something about the 80s that, that also, you know... Uh, that Dennis Lehane, of all people, connected to this with something wild, also sort of similar ideas on his trailers from hell that he did for that randomly. He talked mm-hmm. about the dark side of Reagan America yeah. or whatever he talked. But uh, but yeah, I think that it, I think that's what it provides for that. As far as the zaniness of the movie, it's kind of all the Iranian stuff is kind of very unfortunately to- you know, topical to that time of like, oh, okay, that's the way we're going to do all this, I guess, is be kind of, you know. And Landis himself is portraying Right, and that's yeah. kind of weird. And uh, So, yeah, there's some things about that I question. But but overall, um, I think that what it lends to that type of movie is that is that kind of Ed Oaken. And do you uh, think in general this whole yuppie and – trouble film was this um some more intentionally than others but trying to be a critique of reagan era america well yeah like i said i think some it was intentional others it was yeah like i said kind of more just a product of the time coded and just, yeah. but yeah I, th- I think so i mean i just got done reading angels in america which i think was really a really interesting and pretty great play and uh, it, it obviously is very much from the point of view of definitively liberal sensibilities and issues with Reagan America but but there's a great moment in that where Joe and Hannah Pitt are talking to each other and they're uh, Mormon you know Reagan Reaganites more or less and mm-hmm. and Joe Pitt who's closetedly gay throughout the whole thing kind of struggles with his conservatism over the book in relation to that or the play in yeah. relation to that but there's this great little back and forth that they have and Hannah Pitt uh, is a Valium uh, addict who also has all these hallucinations, and she's not totally mentally 
there. Competent, yeah. And uh, they're talking about, oh, everything, he's saying, oh, everything's great about the 80s. Things are better. And she's like, but I think things are worse than ever. Like, And she's talking about how the ozone layer is melting in Antarctica and in, in the Arctic. Yeah, North Pole, and there's a random focus in the book on Antarctica, or in the I can't want to say the book because I read it in book form. In the play on Antarctica, as a concept randomly, mm-hmm. but uh, anyway, and just kind of that idea that everything was supposed to be great in the '80s and the morning again in America and whatever. But there was a large contingency of people, even people I think now who wouldn't admit to this, who felt a sense of aimlessness and indirection, and and that things weren't all happy and great in the '80s. That yeah that they now even would go back and say that they did, even if they didn't, I don't know. Now, I yeah. didn't live through that time period, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But but I think that's maybe what this movie adds to that, and, and something wild also. I don't remember that being as big of a part of After Hours. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So, that'll do it for our introduction for uh, Into the Night. Uh, we're going to tr- play the trailer for the movie, and then dive right into it. So stick around. Ed Ogan can't sleep. Every day, he has breakfast. That's Stan. Every day, he goes to work. Every day, he comes home. You're losing your mind, Ed. One day, he comes home early. That night, He takes a drive, and Diana falls into his life. I have something they want. It's worth a great deal of money. Let's not do anything rash, Ed. This is just too weird for me. I was his mistress. Jeff Goldblum. Why can't I sleep? Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm one of the bad guys. Into the Night. A dangerous romance. Into the Night. The new film from John Landis. And here we are. We're back. We actually just realized during the break that today, January 8th, when we're recording this, is Mm -hmm. David Bowie's birthday. So, happy birthday. Happy B-Day to DB. Happy B-Day to DB. DB Cooper. No. It's always I always forget sometimes that Bo is not his real no. last name. No, is Jones. David Jones, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. because Duncan Jones is the director. Yeah. At him. All right, so yeah. we're watching the Blu-ray of this. I think Shout Factory put this out. Um, rated R for just because I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's not. This is like we said before they started putting reasons. All right, rating. so we're hitting play in five, four, three. Two, one. The sound of the PlayStation. I've heard that a million times. Favorite logo, favorite era logo for the Universal. Uh-huh. Which again, here's yet another Universal movie for us. It's like all the satellites surrounding mm-hmm. it. Like, yeah, Universal, huh? Still waiting on that check. We're seriously not being paid yeah. by them. <laughs> by the way, like, I mean, if you're making good movies, I guess. Yeah. You know. I always remember this shot in this opening credit sequence being very memorable. Mm-hmm. 
very striking, you know, way to start a movie is through this, you know. Yeah. By the way, plane's gonna land. Might be eating some popcorn through this, so yeah. just know. I hate it when I hear people eating on a podcast. But as I told my kids this week, I'm doing a podcast, but I don't even really listen to them, so we can break whatever rules are. Jeff Goldblum. The guy. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, know, um, George Falsey Jr. was great. He produced a lot of Landis' movies in mm-hmm. the 80s, especially. Nope, we got the song subtitles here. Yep. Have any BB uh, King thoughts or ideas? No, he's alright, I guess. Yeah. I haven't actually listened to all that much of them. Yeah, same here. Roger Vadim. Yeah, I just couldn't remember. Yeah, King, he died few years ago now. Yeah, it hadn't been that long ago. Into the night. And, da- you know, and David Bowie. And then, you know. Used cars. Probably, uh, you know, David Cronberg heads or completionists were out there watching this. Yeah. Want to see this? Mark Scorsese probably won. Yeah. Deborah Dulman, of course, the most famous thing she would have done would have been, uh, I guess, uh, creating the uh, Indiana Jones costume. Costume, yeah. Wow. Also, though, the end of the night, indeed. She designed the jacket Michael Jackson wore in Thriller. Mm-hmm. Which, especially on the poster. It's very strikingly uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's jacket is reminiscent of. Yeah, that's kind of a James Dean deal. Her whole yeah. poster, her whole her whole poster. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Ron Coslow, the guy who wrote this movie. Um, let's see what else he's done. I, he End of the a, night. I don't I have think. a Wikipedia page. What did the world, what did Ron Coslow do to the world? Then he wrote on that Beauty and the Beast show. Okay. About it, I guess. That Beauty and the Beast show, like I've ever heard of it. The 80s one. Mm -hmm. Late 80s. Start off with him and looking in the mirror. Who is he really? You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah, I still think Jeff Goldblum is capable of being good and great in things, but it seems like he's, you know, like a lot of actors, like Christopher Walken or certain actors that are so imitated. They seem like they themselves have descended more into mannerism 
over yeah. the years than they when they were when they were younger. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> what is he doing? Like, <laughs> it's that feeling when you can't quite go to sleep, but your brain's still yeah fried. I've been feeling like that this week. I guess going back to school and teaching, yeah. it's like I've just been. I know you've been that. Levi Huffman can't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I can. It's just that I feel yeah. like I'm still tired. Yeah. Like, No, if I genuinely couldn't sleep, y'all would know about it by now. I would have told you. Because I'd be losing my mind. Yeah. Oh, her good time buddy, huh? I love that, like, she had to leave, so she took his food away. It's like, can't he do that right. himself? Like, yeah. But... I just love that morning traffic. Wow. <laughs> that guy's probably somebody. Yeah. All these random people. Yeah, all their sad like, little lives. What's she eating? It's like a piece of, like, old hamburger. Mm -hmm. Like... I love all these, you know, how it's all these different radio stations. It obviously adds this kind of scatteredness of all these people are mm -hmm. going to the same rat race, but they're all living in their different little worlds or yeah. lives or capsules. It's like the beginning of Crash where it's like, we're all just driving around and crashing into each other. You know, yeah. that, I guess I actually genuinely like that movie. Kind of a profound moment in a movie that's overall like that. Eh. Yeah. Now you're referring, of course, to the green, green, yeah, uh, not the green grass, but the Paul Haggis, Haggis, crash. not the uh, no. Cronenberg, not the man we're gonna see in a moment. No, quite love the Cronenberg crash. Brother from another planet. Yeah, no, John Sales joint. It's like 1985, by the way. Dan Aykroyd just casually asked people that. Yeah. Way. Yeah, I'm going to put a bullet in your forehead and the brain hole. <laughs> I mean, one of his arguably greatest moments, yeah, I think. Yeah, gross point blank, I think. Yeah. Well, tell me about it. Well, that's how it starts. Yeah. Is like, <laughs> look how boring all that looks. Yeah. Hello, Fielding. Well, wow. 
It was just dawning on me now, just thinking about this. Of course, I'm gonna. This is where my brain's gonna go. The way this office structure looks is reminiscent of the way the Daily Planet partially looks in the yeah. Superman movies. John Landis would have been an interesting choice to make a Superman movie in the mm-hmm. 80s. With Chris Reeve, Margot Kidder. Um, Gene Hackman wants to work with him so bad. Um, uh, yeah, I have more of a sense of humor fitting to that than, say, Richard Lester did with 2 yeah. and 3, I think. Well, I was going to say, too, you know, being in that comedy sense that Superman 3 was with having Richard Pryor, I feel like he, they could have yeah. used that. He could have been used better for that. Yeah. Right. I mean, Cronenberg's glasses just look like this type of guy so much. Mm -hmm. LOL, you ain't paying attention, boy. Oh, I gotta wait for two seconds. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like it's almost trying to put us to sleep. This, uh, <laughs> all these acronyms, like. got a bald spot the size of the moon. I don't know if yeah. he's laughing at anybody about anything. <laughs> it's Ty. Well, <laughs> I'm getting caught in the seatbelt. Yeah. Like. Got choke slam out of his How, shoes, it looks like. Like, boringly 80s, that car looks. Yeah. The blue one. No, the uh, the yellow. Oh, yeah, one. got choked slam out of his shoes. It looked yeah. like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like Terry Funk. Yeah, why ain't Terry Funk cameoing in this? Well, it's like Ready to Rumble is like this movie of the wrestling world. It's like everybody's yeah. in that pretty much. WCW related, anyways. WCW World Championship Wrestling. Heavy breathing. What are they doing? Watching WCW. <laughs> West Coast Wrestling or whatever. I don't know. Huh. Thing like that. <laughs> you know, all that was just conveyed through that. It didn't have to do anything else. It yeah. was just like, that's what it is. 
Oh, well, yeah. right. But this moment, yeah. I think about this a lot. <laughs> Why would somebody do that? I'm just because I guess. Oh, look at me, California. Yeah. <laughs> Likers. Yeah, there's something awful. Hagen Doss. Yeah, hugging us a good day. Like, I don't know. You know? Yeah. Like, you understand? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah. Where you at on strawberry ice cream? Takes, thoughts, ideas? Nah. I don't seek it out, but if it's there, I'm like, yeah, all right. Why not? It's all right. I've grown to like strawberries more over the years, anyways. Slow defeated music. Wow. <laughs> when did the fly come out again? Eighty three, I think. Before this. Okay. I think it would have been before this, I'm pretty sure. Let me make sure about that. Let me make sure. Make sure, right? Yeah. No, it was after this '86. Oh, okay. So never mind. Well, maybe hit them. Yeah, you know, I was wondering if they maybe met yeah, on this and that. Maybe yeah, could be. There's some big Cronenberg fan out there, or Fly fan. Restrained hey, mid tempo. Uh, how do you music. not know this? Like, by the way, restrained mid tempo yeah. music. I love this in movies in general. I've never been to New York or L.A., but certain scenes where it's like there's no cars at all anywhere, yeah. you got to imagine that's a little harder to actually, you know, encounter there. Probably instances that's true, but... In L.A., I can believe that well, more. Well, L.A.'s more spread out, yeah. yeah. But, but in New York, no way. Uh, Manhattan? Yeah. Yeah, that is true about L.A. They are more, more, everything's more spread out there. It's a horizontal city. New York's a vertical city. Here we go again with that yeah. mid-tempo. I mean, we can't get all out yet, yeah. you know? Some stanky guitar yeah. on this. Going on a ride, you know? Where where will it take him though? Nonetheless, he's into the nut. It's funny that he's just like, yeah, I guess I'll just go to Vegas. <laughs> he's like, yeah, wasn't that bonehead buddy of mine? Yeah. Played by Dan Aykroyd. Dan's got hemorrhoids. <laughs> I've always wondered what it was up his butt. That's what it is. Huh? Wow. <laughs> he literally barely gets parked, and he's like, all right. Yeah. 
tires squealing. Landis looks so ridiculous in this movie. Yeah. Those glasses and the... He's like mostly. He only he really has any lines. No, because he purposely made himself mute so that right, he wouldn't have to right, do an right, accent. Right, right. That's right. Yeah. Supposedly, he said in that interview that these actors were like stars in Iran yeah, or whatever, right. and that they're just in this like these henchmen. Yeah. And said that they were actually too good of actors to play comedy, so that he had to like he refocus things. He kind of. Yeah was in it was one of those i think that was part of his to try to direct yeah, them to, right yeah. so i guess that's part of the reason he did yeah. that but it wasn't like there was somebody else that dropped out and it's yeah. like can't you just have three yeah. i don't know like, but of course in a movie full of cameos he can't not cameo himself right no i mean he's clearly an egotistical yeah. beastard i yeah. mean his son play. you know ain't yeah. said nothing about him one of the all times you know Max Landis, feel free to look him up. Or not. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Everything's a whole affair with them. They can't yeah. like, get their act together. Just hench me. Just get us out. Just get us out. <laughs> like, oh God. <laughs> so wake you up real quick. Well, they just that one guy got Alan Moore. Yeah, with his hair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even in the face, real quick. Yeah, yeah, like he it. did. Yeah. <laughs> Make a face. A big uh, face. Uh. What kind of social life these two have, by the way? That is one it? guy, I think I've seen him in something before, but I can't remember what it is. Part of me's thinking he might have been in Killing of a Chinese Bookie, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure. Being in L.A., that would make sense. But. Yeah. Because, you know, movies are made there. Yeah, Did you ever know about that? Yeah, they make a movie. Go see Cal. You know? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> How about I don't? Breathing heavily. Yeah, cigarettes don't help. Yeah. Like when you want to smoke a cigarette and it ends up killing you? I think it went to plan. Yeah. I mean... 
the marina. Okay. Is that Castle Bridge Marina? Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Think about how that was such a... There's a time in the culture that was like the biggest yeah, catchphrase. Like, like, what are you talking about, Willis? What you like, talking about, Willis? Like, <laughs> like Wesley Willis? Yeah. Like, Jaja Binks! Better than Bruce Willis. Yeah. Yo, stupid little life fool. I mean, sure. <laughs> like... Wesley Willis could have done Butch Coolidge in Pulp Fiction, but Bruce Willis could not have done Jar Jar Binks. Like, right. Retching. Is that one of your favorite sounds when somebody goes retch? Yeah. Like, <laughs> slow, somber music. Slow, somber retching. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like that part in The Goonies where he's like explaining about how he was at, and I started making these noises. Yeah. Then I then I dumped it over to the side. Like talking about you threw all that fake throw up on those people in the movie theater. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Pantoliano and that one guy who was in that that uh, what you talking about Willis movie Die Hard. uh, Yeah. Is in a bunch of other stuff. Uh, License to Kill era. Uh, what am I talking about? I don't even know. <laughs> License to Spill. Built to Spill. You know, that's a band. Shoot to Spill. You ever heard of them? Yeah. Built to Spill. If you've never heard of them, email me at Huffman Jack's Boat. Email us at Huffman Brothers Productions at gmail.com and I'll send you a Wikipedia link. <laughs> about the mutt. <laughs> or you could easily look it up yourself. No, nope, you gotta email me. You gotta get the access. Special access. This book come here no more. No more. No more. No more. No more. No mole? Yeah, no moles. I don't care anymore. Literally, that's the most GTA Five moment of yeah. all time. Is when he's listening. To, I don't care yeah. anymore. Like yeah. the man, Jack, his boat. Guy can come on here, no more, no more. So that Jack guy is the Richard Farnsworth character. Yeah. I'm gonna ride my love bug, Jim Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna ride my love bug, Jim Meanwhile, girl from Ipanema, the song that Pussy Boppin' Sarah was murdered to. Was he really? No, no, that was uh, Bangles and Beads. That never mind. That Sinatra yeah. song. It's like, what is going on here? It's one of the most unattractive looking men I've ever seen. This is his face. So dumb, like he looks like if like Paul Simon was like a big jock or something. Yeah, like mid-tempo blues and music. Oh, now there's people. Yeah, well, that's kind of the more city area, I guess. Yeah. 
That's what's so confusing about L.A., how there's, like, L.A., yeah. right, the city of L.A., then there's, like, LA the County. valley, yeah. and that's its own thing. So usually when people think of Los Angeles, sometimes they're actually talking about the valley, right. so and that's its own yeah. stuff. Yeah. So that was Don Siegel, right? Was that who that was? I wasn't even taking a real good look at it. Meanwhile. I always remember this scene, just yeah. like the gleeful madcap yeah. destruction of all this for no real reason. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would they do that? Feel bad feeling bad for that guy, but I will. No, no, Don Siegel was later on. It was Waldo Salt, was that guy. Oh, who was a screenwriter Waldo. Midnight Cowboy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who's that? Meanwhile. Elvis Apartment. As we said, our grandmother on our mom's side was a huge Elvis head. Kid, Kid Galahad, yeah. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to do a deep dive and watch all the Elvis movies. Yeah, but, you that's know, something. That's a good, like, early 40s project, I feel like, you know. Yeah. When you need to spice up your life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, gonna get, get organized. organized, and she's like, "I don't get it." And he's like, "Organized, like he's getting frustrated, like you know, organized, like yeah. no." Playing some "Let's Get It On" from Marvin Gaye in yeah. the Elvis apartment. Hey, uh, <laughs> stop beating around the bush. Hey, y'all. Uh, hey, y'all. Uh, hey, y'all. Uh, hey, uh. Meanwhile. Water pattering. The photos. Yeah. Little Everett McGill there, I guess. Was supposed to be, anyways. Yeah, really. Well, Bruce McGill. Last well, one, man. They're all related anyways, aren't they? Yeah, the somehow. Oh, the voyeur. The life of the voyeur. <laughs> that mask that's hanging on the wall, you see that? Yeah. To the left. The Elvis <laughs> thing. Yeah. Well, it looks like it's glass or something. That one Elvis yeah. thing right there, you see it? 
Yeah. <laughs> like, how could you love someone that much? Yeah, you know? it's, it's overkill. Uh, yeah. Like, having one velvet painting would be way more than enough, you yeah. think, but... I was just like, where were you exactly? Just yeah, and then th this guy yeah. with him, like... <laughs> okay. What does Good that mean? <laughs> she is a terrible experience. Yeah. <laughs> Who is that guy? Yeah. Oh, no. That's a thousand dollars in the eighties. <laughs> oh no. Oh boy. You didn't know the king. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's eyes right there's a story there but I'm not going to yeah. ask about it Does that even mean? Yeah. We're <laughs> there into isn't, the night. There isn't time. We're into the night. <laughs> if you can, like... <laughs> what a bad movie. Yeah. House of Games. It's a pretty oh, bad yeah. movie. A mammoth thing. Yeah. Yeah, because I saw They're some... so whatever. Yeah, random people giving it low, a low rating. I was like, how could it be that bad? And then I watched it, I was like, oh. I mean, it isn't, it's like two. It ain't like, you know, terrible or nothing, but... Not all that good either, though. Nope. Meanwhile. They're here. 
the music. Uneasy. Music. Uneasy. <laughs> the King Lives. I mean, wow. That music with that shot. Like, yeah. yeah. What a vibe. What's your Elvis opinion? I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not wildly in favor or against. I'm just like, you know, there's a song here or there I really kind of like, but. Yeah, I just don't. I just ain't into it, I guess, yeah. really particularly, but. A good beard in Landis head. Mm -hmm. It was like that guy driving that, you know? Yeah. They didn't remember what Slow he looked like, I guess. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, you kidding? Like, I mean, I mean, why wouldn't I think that? The weirdest parts of the Elvis yeah. stuff, I think. That said, Hooker, I guess. Yeah. Rick, Rick Baker, Baker, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's funny to imagine that guy like made some of the scariest looking yeah. stuff ever, you know. Kalachek. So, yeah, this was Daniel Petrie that directed Raising in the Sun, that director. <laughs> okay. I, don't, I like that this movie's set in L.A., but it's not really about the film business, yeah. but it just kind of is a background yeah. feature. Gibbs. <laughs> That's the first one. It's gonna wonder about the film scene. Yeah. This is funny. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it took his quarter. Yeah. Like, Terry Camper. Mm -hmm. Remember those? Oh, yeah. That logo specifically. Yeah. yeah. This moment. So John Landis. It's, it's like, like classic. I roll word. Classic JL. One thing we didn't really say about him is that he's got 
like a lot of ticks and anecdotes yeah. that he repeats in a lot of his interviews, like specifically about the Exorcist. He oh, he's an atheist, up. but he always every time he yeah. watches it, he believes. It's like when I watch the Santa Claus, I'm like, I, I still believe. It's like you could Tim believe Allen it. Is you could just believe it, you know. Yeah. It's all fake. It's all artifice, man. And he's just going to sit there. Yeah. Like, Paul Mazursky there. Mm-hmm. I'm just now realizing he's one of the guys. He's on The Sopranos. He's one of the guys get shot to death in a card game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that is him. I forgot. So another random director that's in... Uh... <laughs> that looks like uh, Gore Vidal meets like movie producer or something yeah <laughs> you saw Bob Carroll and Ted and Alice right yeah that's good I always heard an unmarried woman is really good. I've not seen that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Don't please don't. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> The hidden pocket. God's pocket. Yeah. Directed by John That moment Slavery. where uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's falling over in that and there's like a car crash sound yeah. and it's like real over the top. Like. Yeah. Is that background there from like the Wolfman behind the uh, window maybe. there? She probably lives there. <laughs> <laughs> One of the funniest yeah. random jokes in the movie. Like, probably lives there. Like, she's into the night. Like, what if you're into the day? I'll see you next Wednesday, by the way. I just yeah. saw that. That's a recurring bit in Landis's films. There's a movie called See You Next Wednesday that looks different every time, which is in of itself yeah. a reference to 2001. But. Brothers in arms, yeah. brothers in war. Like. 
Masters of War. Slow stress music. <laughs> I've never seen yeah. subtitles quite as expressive and uh, interpretive as this. I was an aerospace engineer. I'm not sure yeah. what to do about all this. Okay. <laughs> you mean Iran? Iran, what you doing? You know? Is that like when the Rolling Stones are late for a concert yeah, yeah. and they're like, they want the Stones, yeah. like <laughs> the people, you know? There's a, who are those men? Who are they? No, who like, are these men, this men? Jack Nicholson. Do we continue to flee into the night? Like, I mean, that's a, one of the bigger questions. This movie is like, will you continue to is that, descend? Can, can into you the help night? me get to him? He's a careerist pig. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> one of the all-time great Valkyrie moments. You know, top ten Valkyrie moments. I feel like I'm gonna do that. Honorable mention. Right. Do you remember at the end of that movie? We're just going to keep talking about Valkyrie, I guess. Yeah. Remember the end of that movie where that one guy's on trial and it's like a Nazi tribunal and that guy's wearing the red judge robes mm -hmm. and he's like, Who do you think that you can rule better than the Fuhrer of us all? Or whatever. He's like real over the top. Yeah. The kids thought that was real funny. Because well, I was like, Yeah, the most over the top man of all time. Like. Cause that's that part where that guy's like, uh, "We'll drag you through the dirt in the streets," you know that whole thing. Take them away, <laughs> take them away, take them away. So, music mm -hmm. moment. Hotel mm -hmm. moment. Transylvania. Yeah, you know they're making another one of those. 
For real? Yeah. How many have they made now already? I three? No. Four? Which I think they are. That's that Jonathan Lynn. Yeah. Dirty Clue. I just love that. Oh, there's Bartail. Yeah, it's coming out uh, on the. There's Paul Bartail. That's what I see. Yeah, on the 14th of this month, our dad's birthday. Which one? How many is it? Uh, so it's the fourth one. Transylvania, is that what going to Transformania. Yeah. So it's like, I think it's where it's going to be this whole thing where it's like the, the monsters become humans and the humans become monsters or Oh, something. I've never seen a trailer for that. Yeah. Some time ago. So, yeah. Money. There you go. Not really. I love in the midst of all this, these you know, Iranians are just like, oh, let's get new suits, though. You yeah. know, why, why we can't find it? I mean, wow. this is the 80s, you know. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Who is that man? See what I mean? Like <laughs> what? <laughs> a real sweavy kind of era, you know. Mm -hmm. He walks in there looking like that, you know, yeah. like a oh, I don't know normal yeah. person. <laughs> <laughs> I got corduroy jacket he's got. Cool. <laughs> this is funny where he takes him in here like <laughs> yeah, he really doesn't need this. Oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> Meanwhile, mm -hmm. that's supposed to be somebody. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's John Siegel. Yeah, 
Oh, like a Tao Balogun anime. Yeah. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. okay. Good into the night. Anybody else in there? The hobos walk out. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Henson yeah Bernie weekend at mm-hmm. oh my god shared universe <laughs> no no <laughs> Meanwhile, You know, Landis just had to be in his draws. Yeah, like. So weird how Bowie just appears yeah. here. Out I mean, he always just does, you yeah. know. He just ground control to Major Tom, I mean. As we all know. Looked like he was wanting to laugh. Like. Yeah. But yeah, they said they like just gave him a bigger suit. Yeah. And just like, oh, make him look kind of uh, frumpy. Yeah. Like one of the weirdest things you could ever do yeah. is like put a gun in their mouth. Yeah. Like pull the trigger till it goes click. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Paul Bartel just standing over there. Yeah. The step off yeah. of the like, <laughs> so weird. It's like, where did he go? Yeah. You know, it was like he just literally disappeared. Like, oh, 
nicht. <laughs> uh huh. Do you have the stones? Like, yeah. like no, I didn't mean like literally. I meant like, do you have the stones to like, carry do this? You have through? the cassette, like one of you know sticky fingers. Like, do, do you have get your yayas out on cassette? <laughs> like, that live album. Like, you ever heard of that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, I forgot that. Do you have Cocksucker Blues bootleg? Like, wow. <laughs> that is really one of the best Like things. a rainbow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Got everywhere. Because you you're a cocksucker, but you got the blues too. You know what I mean? Like You're kind of down sure. on yourself, you know? But. Yes. 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 Slow, tender music. Because it's like, what does he do now if he yeah. leaves the movie? Is just like, if it's just about him going back to the office, like Cronenberg's yeah. still mad, like. Yeah, give me some of them Swiss francs. I was going to take those to the five and dime. Slow, tender music. Yeah. Like, and serious. Sound. Like, this music has been cooked to the point yeah. of tenderness, you know? <laughs> like, oh, Ed, you know? Yeah, like, classic Ed Oaken. Yeah, like. Ed's at it again. That'll be. Ed Oaken. Ed at the Oak Room, like. Ed, smoke them if you got them open. Goodbye. Goodbye, fake wife. Yeah. Yes. Yes. How we go? All right. It's time for you to leave. Yeah. Like, okay. Goodbye. All right. All right. Ding. You know. Ring a ding ding. You know what I mean. Called in like, the bling. Ding. <laughs> you know. Like, Hello. Like ding song. <laughs> Get in there. Be gone. Like go and lay down. Look how quickly she disappears too all yeah. of a sudden, you know, like Hanging out. Mm hmm Bobbing. What a weird mm -hmm. ugly apartment. Will this make your top 10 apartments of 2022, Liz? 
No. Vilba back to the castle. You can barely hear it. Yeah. Yeah, our, uh, this has actually been pretty quiet, so we might turn it up. not at all that good of a movie yeah I'm, i've never been that taken with abbott and costello myself what i've seen i mean they're not the worst thing ever i'm just like yeah. i don't know and i say as somebody who loves the marx brothers i mean i love other comedy from that era but never liked the three stooges either very much i like them better than abbott and costello but yeah they're all right i'm not seeing a whole lot of laurel and hardy's to make a determination either way on them It really is, you know, just go off on side for a second, but it really is amazing to me how great a lot of silent film comedy is when you can just take out, you know, not have such a vital resource yeah. and sound and it still be hilarious yeah. and so insightful and, you know, well done, you know. Yeah. And then this is like, like as in... I, kinda, I do like to have Chevy Chase movies on, you know, mute. Yeah. So, in his own way, right. he continues the tradition. Now, this as in... Abbott and Costello, like, no. Yeah. This means like, oh, they got sound and they still couldn't do it, you know? Yeah. Like, Who's on first? Like, I don't give a <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, that's all I have to say, you know? <laughs> like, what is that? Yeah. You know? Why and why are there so many TVs with this one movie on? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. How massive this whole yeah apartment is. So, what's going on here? But yeah, that was a whole thing around that time when the Universal Monsters start stop, you know, wanting to be kind of pseudo serious, and it all just became about in the forties comic book yeah. movies, basically. Yeah, uh, they wanted they made a couple uh, movies with Abbott and Costello. Yeah, they did a uh, The Mummy, Invisible Man, or two more. Well, sweaty, sweaty, mm -hmm. sweaty Dave, sweaty Bowie. Well, much for him. I'm surprised he took all these people like that. You know. Yeah. I'm 
she's trapped and, in between them. And then, of course, he's putting them fighting that music yeah. over, or the sound effects, rather, yeah. over that. Until he wanted that to be the shot of the movie. Yeah. Like, and it's like, ah, oh, yes, whatever. Meanwhile. <laughs> that guy's like, I, I just want to kill him. I don't care yeah. what all this is about, but. a weird shot yeah. that was like from below like that meanwhile yeah they're not ever in the movie again either are they i don't think or it shows here what happens i guess but <laughs> oh yeah they both yeah, yeah. Jack Arnold. <laughs> the creature from the Black Lagoon fame. Mm-hmm. I mean, Whit Bissell starring in, like, moment, mm-hmm. you know? Who can forget? <laughs> Whit Bissell was in both of those I Was a Teenage Blah Blah movies. part where they shoot the dog here is like wow (laughs) (laughs) oh you couldn't do that now like yeah be cancelled like it's just so shocking it's like what (laughs) (laughs) mean bad Tire squealing, screaming, you know, like <laughs> shaking. <laughs> That's a bad outfit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. To be I love, honest. He says that, goes in reverse, and the gun goes off. Like, you know, like. I mean, yeah, I couldn't say it better myself, you know. I always forget about that guy, you know. He's like, F this. That's honestly one of the funniest yeah. moments in any movie ever. Like. He's got that beret on, too. Yeah, you know, like. yeah he's got a whole backstory into him. All the places he's been. Me and my students when they're like, when I'm passing out something. Yeah. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, shut up. Be quiet. <laughs> I don't do that. But I do say shut up every so often. I was like, shut up. Like, <laughs> And they're like, gosh, like they're offended or something. I'm like, you literally talk while I'm talking. All like, the time. Yeah, all the yeah. time. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, what? you know, whatever. And that moment is kind of a low-key offensive where it's like all these people screaming in foreign languages. Yeah. It's like, okay. Dude, can like, you at least tell us what it is? Like, I haven't said much about it, but this transfer looks really good, I think. Yeah. 
like wacky, like Michelle this is some wacky stuff, like. This guy. He needs his own spin off comic. Get the fuck out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> are, the, are we shipping them? Ships. I hear my kids say that sometimes. Like, don't ship these people. I'm like, yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, I know what it means, but like, yes, stop a... talking. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, like, that Don Draper yeah, or like, Stop talking. Like, yeah. <laughs> stop cursing. Yeah. Or why are you cursing? Amy Heckerling. Her big moment. I mean, Amy. Is it her shared universe? <laughs> what, eating ice because what? Because I made you eat ice cream. You <laughs> <laughs> know, it's, it's mainly because you're a, frankly, a sociopath. Yeah. You know, like, I think that's the main problem. Yeah. <laughs> and the top three problems. Top three problems with problem child. Mm-hmm. Right. Top two, top three problems with Don Draper in season five. Remember the ending of uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High? It has that Oingo Boingo song you don't hear very often. It's like, goodbye, goodbye, oh, or whatever. It's like real weird. It's like, what? Like, Indeed, goodbye. Indeed, goodbye. Yeah. Really good soundtrack, that movie. Where's that part where there's that, like, uh, there's that uh, black kid that that one guy's driving around with, and he just, like, off the cuff, just like, I like sex. Like, yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay like yeah. <laughs> he's a bad man is that guy secretly her uh, in the background yeah. with that coat like Evolved. It was a you know. But was it a daggum yeah. finch from the Galapagos? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> HMS Beagle era? Like, hmm? how long? How long? What? How long have you been planning on doing this? <laughs> As SpongeBob would have told us. Must be one of those ghost set of Watchmen era, like kidnapping, forceful publishing of information kind of, you know, kind of vibes. He's like, oh, what do you do? It's not. 
Does it? Mm-hmm. He's like, huh? Like, <laughs> I mean, isn't that where people go? I mean, yeah. literally go to an airport and hang around. It's mm-hmm. just like, yeah. There's probably some old bitty trying yeah, to Yeah, trying and you can stop that, yeah. like, you know. Double feature this with airport like. Airport uh, you know, airport mishaps. Meanwhile. That smooth jazz. <laughs> At Paul Mazursky's abode. Mm-hmm. You know. His sex pad. <laughs> I mean, I like sex. Like, okay. Like, I you remember up, him? On, I woke up in a great mood. I don't know what the hell happened. Yeah, he's that guy that got. That but he, got but he's like, uh, yeah. But he's like, s talking like them when they're robbing them. Yeah, like, and they just he, blew him away and killed him. Yeah, it was him, like yeah. um, Jackie Junior's crew. Yeah, or, and he's like, uh, he's like, what does he say? He's just like, uh, victory has a hundred fathers, but defeat is an orphan. And he just yeah. keeps talking, talking, just shooting, killing. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember what he looked like in that now, yeah. Let's make it cold. It's funny how it's like, like, she keeps talking about how cold it is in L.A. It's like, it would be that cold. I mean, yeah. Yeah, probably that time of year, maybe it's a little bit cooler, but yeah, for them, it's well, probably like you see like people on Twitter in L.A., 60, yeah. if it's like 50 degrees, they're like, yeah. like bundled up AF, like. What a freak. What a weirdo. Well. And you just got back. Yeah. So. so this movie isn't totally one night, basically. No. Which is yeah. it's not into the. Yeah. Who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh no, the king is dead. Charlie? Foreboding music. Well, it's like if you think about it, the first Terminator movie is like, starts early in the morning, goes into the next day, then there's a night there, then there's another day. So it's like over two, three days. Yeah. Second Terminator movie... Is about the same, Maybe I think. Like a, loosely a week. Yeah. A little longer there. They go back and forth to Mexico. So. Where's my brother? Your brother as well. Where is he? He's Director of Barbarella. You know, yeah. like, okay. Battery fall.
no, not the Emmy. Why would they be doing that? Yeah, you know? just because. You know. <laughs> Ripping the TV apart. <laughs> I would be doing that at this point, you know. Yeah, take it out on the door, you know. A seal, like yeah. everything's just so we got to do it right now, like yeah. smash through, like fast food America. I tell you, <laughs> even though it's like eighties, and it's Iranian. like Iranians, yeah, yeah, fast food Iran, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Be a good name for something. You see that movie Fast Food Nation? I've not seen it. I know of it. I read. Right, hey, come know. here. Watch this. Like I don't know if I've seen it either. And they just watch it happen. Well, I guess they're paralyzed by oh no, bad. But like you know, yeah. but they're still not helping it. But situation. Well, well, this shot is real weird. Mm -hmm. Like you know, what practical purpose is killing her? Have yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they don't either. Yeah. And what was your name, sir? <laughs> huh? What is this Dune now? Yeah. Like Shahalud? What? Yeah, like you know, the, the sand people. <laughs> <laughs> you know the sand ones. You know. You imagine Tommy Soprano just like you know the sand ones or whatever the f like you know? the free men uh, whatever <laughs> yeah. What, Mr. Oaken? <laughs> you mean Mr. Oaken? You mean, like, <laughs> sir, sir. Jimmy Dean, James Dean, rock on. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Have we ever talked on here about the Jimmy Dean, mm -hmm. James Dean? How I don't we, remember when, but we how have. we will take like. Jimmy Stewart, James Stewart. Any like, shortened version yeah, of something like, and make it. Orange Kaz in there. PW Herman. Yeah, Cassidy, you know. There it is over there. Will you get her out of here? Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. What the fuck are you clowns going to do about this? 
Cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> Cocaine them. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. By the way, same year as uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, so Herman. P.W. Herman. P.W. Herman. Yeah. Paul Wazerski Herman, you know. Huh? Say what? No, oh, I gotta put my gun away. Bonehead said what? Like. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, gotta play like a like a little kid. Like I'm just here hanging out. One, two, three, four. And our number is four, five, six, twenty-one ninety-nine. That's fine. We'll uh, most likely be in touch with you in the next day or so. Ooh, oh, we're gonna like apartments.com. Change the world. Believe. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, we we were now steering this ship. Yeah, like we we're into the night, baby. Yeah. Even though it's like the day. Yeah, middle of the day. Your driver. Yeah. Era. <laughs> we ever talked yeah, about that? Yeah, we've done that too. Have we? Yeah, back way back when. All right. Syriana. All right, don't kill me. I think. Yeah. Please, don't kill me. We're in the Syriana era of the pod. Yeah. No. I ruined the silk blouse. Must have been awful for you. Some of that sleep. 
Into the nap time. Into the nap. <laughs> but now he's been made alive. That daggum house yep. is in everything. Godfather, the most jerk. notably, the jerk. This movie. Uh, other things. Other things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is famous for being shot. A lot of things shot there. Yeah. They sell What's it hilarious every is day, in the Godfather like. shots is that they, you know, literally sent. They had body doubles for. Um, Duvall right. and um, what's and, his name, uh, Jack or John Marley. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, oh, you notice those shots mm -hmm. are farther away. I've never know. thought about that, but yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard Coppola say that in a commentary before. So yeah, I guess where they filmed it in the house, it wouldn't even have been that house. I'm guessing then, right? Yeah, it's probably sets. Yeah. And they would have, yeah, probably literally went there, filmed that stuff real quick, mm -hmm. and then left. Like, so I think most of the movie was shot in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, Pawn Stars has really gone downhill as of late. <laughs> like the History Channel in general. Yeah, well, they've been doing that for 15, about 20, 20 years. years yeah. yeah. Any interesting drugs? But anyway. On there now, they uh, they use every they have these little things where uh, Rick will be like, you know, Charlie Chaplin was a person. It's like okay, like you know, it's like just real spouts off. Yeah, all it's this. just like stuff that I mean, I know, I get it. We know a lot about movies and history and stuff. But I'm just like, yeah, I know literally everything you just told me. I knew. I literally learned nothing. And we've talked about it too. Like yeah. usually, the people that are being told that are just nodding and standing there, like, okay, but I just want to sell it. I don't really care yeah. about any of that. Who's this? Ed Oaken, you know. Oh, you know yeah. Ed. No, Mr. Oaken. <laughs> well, his team made it out all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's just like, uh, <laughs> okay, okay, Larry, good old Larry, sprinkle.
Get them into the night. Yeah. Shaheen. That's the way he says it. Escrow, one of my favorite words. Well. I just remembered he has a wife. Y'all have your little moment. Have your little parting like, glance. Like, 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 you know, Pfeiffer or Farnsworth moment. Yeah. I was thinking of that. There's that Kim Peel sketch where they're like talking about, I think, the various, you know, that like recurring little sketch they do of like the two parking lot or the yeah. two, and they like talk about random things and they're like, Talking about the Batman movies or something. It's like, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did you see that? Yeah. yeah. Like, all right. Like, all right. By the way, need some wheels. For you want. Imagine Farnsworth driving that around. Ferrari, yeah. like. Into the night. See you into the night. I think every scene should end with them saying that in a roundabout way. And then the music goes into yeah, the night. Yeah, yeah, like, and ends. Buckaroo Banzai himself. Well, he he was in he that. was in it, but upbeat, like, all right look out oh this is controversial didn't care for that at all just because you know why would it even matter they've got enough yeah. you know like, just because I'm taking her car Okay. Yeah. Racist 80s, as yeah. always. Uh, 
zestful music. <laughs> that's that's an all time right there. Zest, like extra years of zest. Um. say who knows yeah who knows how into the night we are a guy on the right there looks like a friend of yours yeah I've been thinking, thinking that this whole yeah. time yeah <laughs> meanwhile mm -hmm. let's just chill here with our pistachios Well, the Lucy Dacus song. <laughs> yeah. I guess you're going to have to. Farmer's Market era. Mm-hmm. Think about, like, all the people, uh, Ed Oaken's like wife and his job, his like co-workers, like where's he at? Yeah, like, you know, so, <laughs> been missing for like a whole day, basically now. Yep. Very fine price. Uh, mighty fine price. Mm. <laughs> Good faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm directing this scene. Like, okay. 
How many times are you going to change the story? Yeah. Creep. Jack Nicholson's here. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> All right, excuse me. I got to go talk with him about a movie deal. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then she just comes back, like, oh, okay. Yeah. What? Do the thing, you know? Bang. It's like in GTA when you kill somebody and the money just falls out. Yeah, it's like falls out of the corpse. Maybe I can buy me a mattress with this that puts me to sleep, you know? Never stepped foot in an airport in my life. I haven't either. Thrilling music. Ooh, it's getting thrilling. This is thrilling, thrilling music. You know, as the old yeah. song goes. Yes, yes. Oh! Getting tired, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's into the night. Yeah. No, actually, it's like three in the afternoon. But as we said earlier, I mean, it all lines up. If you're listening to this in one continuous session, it'd be like yeah, five or six or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you're into that. Here he is. Oh, you're talking about in the morning? 
What do you mean? What do you mean five or six? Like no. Well, earlier when we said that it was oh you're probably listening to three. Oh BM right. Yeah. Be. It's funny, they get all the way in there and then... He's got to just mind his own business. Tougher Grace looking guy there. Yeah. Guy with the hat. Not the big yellow hat though. You gonna just shoot his dad straight up at him? That don't look weird at all, right? Yeah, like <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Meanwhile, no, the gang's all here. Indeed. <laughs> oh, this, this, all these gunshots here. Dante. Demi. Oh, that's why yeah. I meant Demi, yeah. yeah. This, when this guy gets got here in yeah. a second. this one like yeah yeah <laughs> that's just like wow <laughs> and then landis goes down i mean if i came here in my own movie i'd make sure i died a violent death yeah. too no lie no jk that one guy's death is just straight up insulting yeah though. it was just like wow yeah So I wonder if he's getting Demi out of it. just like, yeah, you know. Yeah, he ain't going to get out of it, I don't think.
It's like that scene in that you movie. List? Too late with uh, John Hawks, where he's like, "I need to change my life." After all, them people kill each other. Yeah. You remember that? Well, you yeah, haven't yeah. seen that movie. Yeah, I know yeah. I've seen you that. We need to watch that. Yeah, I like seeing. It. It's not good, but wow. Literally, like wow. Yeah, it's a piano exit for the ages. No, like get over, get over here, like. get over here, get over here. He's like she, like, you know. It took me forever yeah. to know that's the same guy. Yeah. But Come yeah. on, get over here. In West Baltimore, she. <laughs> One of these days, I'll watch The Wire. It's a great show. I watched half of the first season. Honestly, got to that scene where they were like saying the F word a million times, and I was like, ah, I'm good. Like, stupid. Like, I work in a middle school. I don't need to see this. <laughs> okay. There's Gottlieb there. And, and Demi. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the squad. Eh. <laughs> hey. I, I think The Wire is absolutely is about as great as everybody says it is. Not quite as good as The Sopranos, but, uh, but, really great. Yeah. Oh, what's all this? That guy. I think it's always real weird when things like this happen. Cops just are like, don't want to clean you up. They just leave all the blood all over yeah. you. It's like, whatever. It's like, you deal with it. The like, whole scene uh, in Liquor's Pizza, you know, where uh, he gets arrested and yeah. then uh, they figure out it wasn't him they're looking for. They literally just kind of leave him there yeah. and take the take the cuffs off and don't say a word. Like, <laughs> you a-hole. Yeah. You a-hole. <laughs> I 
get out of here. Like, Go on, get out of here. Get over here. <laughs> Imagine him as Scorpion. Yeah. Get over here. Like, you <laughs> know. Better movie. Yeah. Fatality. Here he is. It's like almost like you're like thinking back over the whole movie and you're like, that, that was the same movie as yeah, this? Right. <laughs> like, very effective use of that. Like. The money. I didn't push your side, the money. That's even reminiscent yeah. to the uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, Satchel, Satchel. yeah. You can get that sleep now. Ramada in. They realize that the right one's been there all along. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Go see Kyle. Yeah. Go see Kyle. <laughs> really are into the night. Noise pollution. Mm hmm. Government man. Scared. Yeah. Government, government product. Sniff it like. Uh. What? I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I don't to know mean. either. <laughs> Ramadi and Keat Golden Lights. You say that as if I know what it means. Yeah, well, I mean. I mean <laughs> sometimes I just say things, yeah. you know? It sounds like a middle school problem. Yeah. You should say that to a kid who asks a question. Just like, hey, I don't, I forgot my uh, book in another classroom. That sounds like a middle school problem. It's one of my favorite stories you've ever told. One time somebody said, oh, I left my binder over here or something. Mm-hmm. And you were like, what do you want me to do about yeah. it? Like, <laughs> I don't think I'd say that to a kid now, but uh, yeah. I, they caught me at a, uh, in a random moment. I don't yeah. know. I was just like, okay, so what? Like,. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go wherever. Like, let's go have some road games. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. He needs wow. to shave. Oh, you gotta love any movie yes, that ends with I mean, the. 
Oh, remember him? No. Barely. Not till they made me. He's like, wait, this is my moment? Like My all-time favorite, like, uh, final credits, like, goes cast member to cast member is always in Kill Bill 2 when it cuts to uh, it's Paradine, dead. like, yeah. dead. It's just like <laughs> that's Bill. Funny. Yeah, just, like, that, I always thought body. that was funny, yeah. <laughs> What times? I love always. They're like what times we've had. I think had. the last. I think the worst one I've ever seen is in Predator. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Predator's not really good anyway. Yeah. So. Like spot the difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Jim Henson in there at all? No. So mm-hmm. into the night. Any new thoughts? Somehow I like it more every time I see it. It's kind of yeah. shocking. But no, that is really good. Yeah, I, mean. I agree. Savak. Y'all get the Savak. Savak. Girl on boat. Male derelict. I thought Female I derelict. Girl on crack. I was going to be like, what? Like, Beverly Wilshire Hotel Doorman. Man on phone, Jim Henson. Colin Morris, David Bowie. Bud Abbott, Lou Costello, Count Dracula, Bela Lugosi. Crazy. Yeah, wow. Lady in waiting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, still pretty little great movie. I'd still say, well, what do you think John Landis' best movie is? I I'm always tempted to say maybe Animal House. It's I between think, that and maybe Blues Brothers, yeah. but, or this, or yeah. but also I mean American World from London's up there too. So I think it's between Animal House and the Blues Brothers. Probably Animal House. Yeah. This is my favorite. I know yeah. personally. Yeah. But probably. So yeah, we'll go ahead and hit pause on that. So that's end of the night from 1985. Hey, Dave. Not Dave. Dave. Jeff. The hell's that? <laughs> I don't know. Dave Dave Thomas from Wendy's fame. I don't know. He's frequently in my thoughts and prayers, I guess. Uh, Dave, rest in peace. No, Jeff, what have we got next week? Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. It's been a long time. Yes, ma'am. A lot of water under the bridge. Some of the old songs, Sam. Yes, ma'am. Where is Rick? I don't know. I ain't seen him all night. When will he be back? Not tonight no more. He ain't coming. Uh, he went home. Does he always leave so early? Oh, he never. Well, he's got a girl up to the Blue Parrot. He goes up there all the time. You used to be a much better liar, sir. Leave him alone, Miss Elsa. You bad luck to him. Play it once, Sam, for all time's sake. I don't know what you mean, Miss Elsa. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. Oh, I can't remember it, Miss Elsa. I'm a little rusty on it. I'll hum it for you. You must remember this, a kiss is just a kiss, 
A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by And when two lovers woo They still say I love you On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Sam, I thought I told you never to play. So, you hear, you heard it here we'll, first? We'll make it our business. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I don't think we're going to have that yeah. scene in there, but yeah. Yeah, no, but, but you got it. But gotta, those listening will know but, uh, if yeah. they got it this far. Yeah. I don't think they listened all the way here. But. Casablanca from 1942. And looking about the release date of this movie, is kind of I know it premiered in 1942, but I think it got a slightly bigger release in early 43, but you yeah. know of that period. Um, directed, of course, by uh, Michael Curtiz. Michael Curtiz, starring, of course, Humphrey Bogart, um, was Ingrid Bergman, um, Paul Henry, Paul Henry, Peter Laurie, Peter Sydney Laurie. Greenstreet, Conrad Veidt, Claude Rains, and Claude Rains, uh, other people. Good movie. <laughs> that, that Casablanca, you know, just like it's, yeah. you know, it's coming back. People yeah. are finally stopping and saying, you know what, this is a winner. You know, yeah. like, this is pretty good. It's not like it won Best Picture and has been hailed as one of the greatest movies ever made. Did ever it since win Best released. Picture? Yeah. Did it? I, I didn't know yeah. what it, it, what Academy Awards it had won. Yeah. I'm not surprised it did. Yeah. I just didn't know that for sure. For a second, I thought you were joking. I was like, uh, yeah. Casablanca thoughts. It's good. You should see it. Uh, uh, I mean, like I said, I just rewatched it. Uh, it actually did win best. The picture. other, or well, a couple weeks, like about a month ago, I guess. Um, and won best director, Curtis. And it would make me laugh to say something like, you know, every time I see that, it gets better because it's so good. But watching that with the kids during lunch, I mean, and they were relatively into it. I think. Um, I mean, just watching it again, even like I said recently. Uh, Especially in the moment that it, I mean, and it's set very obviously in the in like the first week of December of nineteen forty one. Yeah, like you know. Yeah. Uh, Just prior to the Japanese bombing and of Pearl Harbor, and so it, you know, it's very obviously it just did come out the next year. They had already been wanting to make it, but I think that adds a whole other, you know, and the movie acts as a little bit of a metaphor in that sense of. Uh, you know, America is an isolationist uh, in the form of Bogart and him finally making the decision to help out his friends instead of himself mm-hmm. and to go into the... There's well, I so think much... is a statement in it that I hadn't considered until recently, which seems kind of obvious. But There's a lot packed into the... Uh, um, oh, gosh, uh, French character. What's his name? Uh, Claude, Claude Rain's character. Yeah about France at that moment as well. Yeah. France being now this occupied, not just France in Europe, but French territories as being these occupied places. And uh, the sense of appeasement in many ways he's trying to like, you know, pursue and, you know, having a sense of dignity and self-respect, but ultimately knowing that he's beaten to the drum of these um, German bosses of a sort. Mm-hmm. Um Without hyperbole, of course, one of the greatest films of all time, one of the greatest films ever made. 
I always like putting that and uh, Citizen Kane kind of side by side because both represent some of the best films, of course, ever yeah. made, but particularly at that moment. Yeah. And both represent how Hollywood cinema could be great in wildly different ways. Of course, yeah. Casablanca is seen as the very height of the studio system of what studios could produce at that level of, you know, it being kind of auteurless. I mean, Curtis certainly has a style about himself, but... But the, as, all those studio influences that go into it, as William know. Friedkin said before on the uh, when he was on uh, the movies that made me, he made a big deal about Michael Curtis was a. Uh, it sounds almost like Trump or something. Yeah. Michael Curtis, who was a uh, was a filmmaker without without much of a. He, he just made movies. He didn't have to be an auteur, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but then, yeah, well, then Susan Kane right, yeah, represents very, a little yeah. bit more of a transgressive, a little bit more of a new style yeah. of cinema that's on its way yeah. with Orson Welles. Uh, I mean, I don't know what else to say. We're going to talk about it at length next week. I mean, it's it's a movie that I mean, when I first saw, I liked, but I was a little slightly nonplussed by. The second time I saw it a few years later, I was like floored by it yeah. and there's a reason why it is again considered one of the hots and one of the greatest films of all time yeah. in many many ways and i think part one one aspect i'll leave us with on it i think that works so well about it is the the screenwriting is just on another level and the and the characters in the world that i, I feel like back then it was like new or new hollywood old hollywood classic, no, hollywood. classic hollywood had a real handle on creating a world a world yeah. i mean like and it could do it so quick and so fast and the, the camera would move so expediously and there would be characters introduced in one moment and there's such and economy it's to it i so mean so masterful i mean they yeah. really knew how because that's one thing i sometimes i'll admit get a little uh i haven't done this as much as i've gotten older but when I was first getting into movies, I liked older movies, but I saw them as, oh, they feel very industrial, and they still do to a certain extent, and you can tell that about certain movies, that they were all made in a studio, and it's kind of just like, oh, they do this and they do that. But and, and in comparison to newer movies, which were more shot on location, and were, but we've kind of gone back to that now, strangely, where now we're back in the studios all the time right. doing green screen right. crap. And there's no good actors alive, uh, you know. Like, uh, you know, we have Tom Holland now. That's what we've got. Who's uh, doesn't even know who? I mean, so, Pedro Almodovar is. I mean, you many know, are saying like, he's the next Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I mean, Tom right. Holland, you know. Yeah, but he doesn't even know who that is. Oh, who's that? Yeah, but idiot. Anyway, uh, screw him, as uh, Roger <laughs> Sterling was like Sterling, rather. Uh, but that, like, but. When you watch that, though, and you see, like you said, there, there's a sense that they, yeah, maybe sometimes it feels like they're just making a movie and it feels very, like, set. And there's, But then you watch it move mm -hmm. of the great movies. And there are other movies like Third Finger, Left Hand. I know that's the movie we always pick on that we've never seen. But mm -hmm. movies like that, that, yeah, or like Yankee Doodle Dandy, for example. A movie like Another that, that's Curtis just like, film, yeah. it's like not good really all that much at all. Just kind of a useless, patriotic movie, whatever, you know. But whereas something like Casablanca is not only about something... I mean, it's about America in certain ways. Of It has, you know, Bogart as our American avatar, yeah. right? But 
but it's so much about Europe and and Morocco and Africa and all the you know it's about so many other things and and it finds a way to pack all of it into literally an hour and forty minutes. That's how long that movie is. It's it really is crazy yeah. that they were able to make a movie that expedient, um, and that it just moves so effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Everything about it is. If, I mean, it's all so pristine and so precise, but it feels so like back then. And why? And like you've said, they don't. Why that maybe is the best era of movies is because even the when they would be like, oh, we'll just do that. It's like the best thing ever, and it was. They were just like, oh, well, whatever. In a weird yeah. way, what worked to Hollywood's advantage back then is they just made so many movies. Right. And so while there are scores of movies that have oh, just yeah. been falling through yeah. the cracks, and I, I mean. It's just one of those things when you have people working in that craft in that way, you're just going to get a higher volume yeah, of right. great things. I mean, and, yeah. and also films were not ancillary to other things. The film was the film. Yeah. That's what it was about. It was Even at that point, it wasn't even totally about selling music. Yeah. It wasn't about selling toys or action figures or video games or apps or whatever. Or backpacks. Yeah. It was about... Yeah. Now, I would have loved to have seen a Casablanca backpack in the day or a lunch yeah. pail, you know. Well, it's like you know, those Sony hacks where it's like water bottles, backpacks. Yeah. You know, it's like... <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, I mean, and that and that's... And I've always said movies began as a, as a, out of greed. I mean, that's what it's always been about. That's what the industry's always been about. But there seemed to be a time when, like anything, the product was important yeah. to people, at least. Yeah. Because they knew that they needed to get people in the door. Now right. it's a whole other thing. Yeah. But so everyone knows this. Yeah. I don't know why. And again, but, like, it'll know. be towards the end of this year, but Casablanca will be celebrating its uh, 80th anniversary mm-hmm. even into 2022. So, yeah. I'm guessing probably most people who have listened to this podcast have likely seen Casablanca, but if not, especially my check it out with us third block lunch crew. Yeah, so. yeah, you did the Lord's work showing middle schoolers yeah. that. So, so that's it for this week. This is Kyle. This is Levi. Take care. God bless. Into the night, right here. Here's Cal Worthington at his dog spot. If you need a better car, go see Cal. For the best deal by far, go see Cal. If you want your payment slow, if you want to say some dough, go see Cal, go see Cal, go see Cal. Any model, any make, go see Cal. Give your pocketbook a break, go see Cal. Save some money, save some time, save a nickel, save a dime, lower prices every time, go see Cal.